Welcome to episode 30, episode 3-0, the big uh, Trey Otts, the 30-something, the first possible 30-something. I'm just going to keep going like this until you interrupt me or something. I don't really know what's into me today, but I'm excited about the number 30. Uh, of We have such films to show you. Uh, I am Josh Millard. And I'm not interrupting because I like hearing you ramble. <laughs> and today we are talking about uh, the classic, the... the, the Amityville uh, Horror. Yes. <laughs> Blair Witch Project. We're going to talk about Blair Witch Project as we decided to do uh, last fortnight. Uh, it's, been, it's been fake fortnights all summer long so far as we've ended up turning them into months because of scheduling stuff. Yeah. But, uh, but so it goes and we're going to talk about Blair Witch. And this, was, this is our first real second fortnight. What? Yes. 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 Right. Uh, <laughs> if you're yeah. hearing a weird echo coming from me, it's because there's no furniture in the room I'm in now. Just moved. Uh, because yes, we just moved. Uh, we're slowly moving out of the place that we sold and into a place that we're renting, as we are trying to close on the place that we're buying. Um, which is roughly as complicated as it sounds. But if you're in Brooklyn and you are at the point in your life where you need to hire movers that I have now been in the first time, uh, all-star moving in storage is pretty good. I don't know how good the storage is yet, but I can recommend the moving part. Sorry, are you currently – so you're recording this from an empty room in the house you're moving out of into the temporary place before you move into the place you're buying? Yes, but there's a bed in here still. Oh, okay. Well, that's that's not no furniture. Already, you've made this a house of lies. Well, yes. Well, I guess a apartment of lies. Uh, a largely unfurnished bedroom of lies. <laughs> that's. I think that's going to be the title of my memoir. A largely unfurnished bedroom of lies. Well, your first independent film project. I and feel like, I, I, independent I, film projects. I feel like... I, I feel like maybe there's something wrong that I haven't gotten more excited about the idea of making my own shitty horror film uh, as a result of this podcast. Because I've, I've, I've had that sort of thought on occasion before. It's like, oh, you know what I should we do? We haven't should done make the a- podcast yet. What? I, Never mind. I don't, I, I don't get it. No, um, it wasn't good. Okay. Well, I'll just, I'll just write it off as lousy then. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I kind of... Maybe that's a weird thing to say, but I feel weird that I don't have some weird, unrealistic expectation of making a shitty independent horror film as a result of talking about all of this horror film stuff. So, I think in in a lot of ways, this movie shows you how hard it is to make a shitty, well, a, a independent horror film that isn't necessarily shitty, I guess, because there's 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 a lot of things that they pull off in this movie that you 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 can't just go out into the woods with three people and a camera and do this. Yes, there's yeah, you, there's there's and and the good thing about this movie is that it looks like that they just went out with three people into the woods and a camera and made this movie. Yeah, which is uh, which is a, a success that I don't think even they were counting on. Yeah, it's one of those things where I mean, it's and it's hard to know how much of it is luck and how much of it is the stars lying and how much of it is just straight up genuine talent and, and so on and so forth. I've never really looked into exactly how Blair Witch Two played out, but it's generally held that it's an unalloyed piece of uh, overdone shit. Basically, yeah, I, I actually did look into it, and it 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 didn't have to be a giant piece of crap. But uh, the studio being like, we want to make a profitable sequel now, uh, basically ensured that it would be. Yeah. Because it's it, like, 
I haven't watched it again, and uh, maybe at some point I'll do that just to try and test my memory. But I basically remember it basically getting everything tonally wrong for a sequel. Like, like as compared to, say, Por- Paranormal Activity 2. Now, when I saw Paranormal Activity 2, uh, I watched that after, you know, I watched Paranormal Activity the first time uh, a couple of years back. And, you know, the two films, you can sort of tell that the second one was a bit more ambitious and had some more budget and was a little bit more put together as a project uh, with a little bit of money and planning behind it. But it's not super obvious looking at two that it's in a different sort of budget universe than one, whereas I presume there was a lot more money involved in two than one based on what we learned oh, yeah. from you pointing out. Uh, that. See, I, I just hadn't realized the first one was as independent of a project as as it was i didn't realize it was a scrappy like it makes sense looking at it in retrospect and it was interesting watching it with that in mind but uh but, yeah, but one you of know, the good, it, it really was, after you my dear alphonse i was gonna say um it yeah there was it, it, the thing about the first one is that they did not expect to be distributed the way they were and so the movie was made you know they they financed it themselves they um what do you call it i believe the the eight millimeter camera, the handy cam, they returned to Circuit City after they used it to film the movie. Um, that's that's how like budget conscious they were about this. So then there was no studio interference because there was no studio. Yeah. And then the studio just took it from them uh, roughly the way it was, not exactly. Um, and you know there was some other stuff with like some financing, and then they had like an eight minute trailer, and then they got some money for that because um, and I think most of the money went towards the sixteen millimeter camera because it's a ten thousand dollar camera. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, I looked up. Uh, yeah, the, for some reason, like the prices for a lot of the things in this movie are all over the web. Just because it's this is the first time like something like this had happened um, with this much success. So you know, like the dollar figure, everybody's always impressed with all the dollar figures around it. Um, but yeah, like the the this this is like a triumph of independent filmmaking. Um, like one of the biggest triumphs of independent filmmaking, and it just happens to be a horror movie too, which is nice. Yeah, um, and a very successful horror movie. Like as far as horror movies go, like not financially, just artistically. I mean, yeah, no, it um, it, it works really well. Um, let me just let me just put a capstone on on that that thought I was on earlier, so I don't leave it hanging and realize an hour later and try and come back to it then. But yeah, the, the interesting thing to me looking at paranormal activity and paranormal activity too, is how much they feel like it would be like paranormal activity who really feels tonally and looks and sounds and everything about it feels like it's of a piece of the first film uh, of a piece with the first film and Blair, Witch too, what I remember being so taken by uh, sort of taken aback by was how it felt like a completely different film trying to carry over some of the same spooky found footage mystery, what's going on stuff while looking and feeling so completely different that like there was no sense of a heritage between the two when I, when I watched it at the time. And that was part of what was like so weird about throwing all that money at making a, a shitty follow up. Anyway, that was, that was, that was the whole thought there. But uh, um, yeah, no, I, I feel like Blair Witch Project really, it, it really works well as a horror film, like coming back to it. Cause I really don't think I've watched it since, uh, it was out in theaters for the first time, and I remember seeing it with some friends. And you know, it was well into the the release hype, and everybody was going and seeing it. So we stood in line at some independent theater in Portland, and uh, and, and you know, waited around and watched a midnight showing, and it was a lot of fun, and it was spooky, and it was you know, a lot of joking about you know not being scared and whatnot. <laughs> and, 
I, I keep for, forgetting how how old were you when you saw this? Because I had to sneak into the I had to sneak into it when I saw it. I would have been uh, probably twenty or twenty one, is my guess. Okay, I was fourteen. Oh, you little cherub! Yeah, yeah, I had to sneak into it. I bought tickets to go see Bowfinger. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, yeah, I remember the circumstances around surrounding seeing this movie um, very clearly because I saw it in the like it, it was in the, it was in the suburbs of Maryland, but it was in like we had to drive through like a dark woody part both to get to get there and back from the theater. Nice. Um, yeah, so I saw it basically where it takes place. Not exactly where it takes place, but roughly where it takes place. And like having watched it again last night, I commend 14-year-old me on not being like scared twice as much as I thought I would be. Because the movie scared the crap out of me last night. Um, and yeah, you know, I, I, I remember being scared at the theater, but I was, I was just like, damn, dude, you, good job, 14 year old me for not like, you know, screaming or running out of the theater or something. You that know, was, like, I, the I best didn't possible setup for having originally seen it too. Like, <laughs> like for me, like Burkittsville, Maryland means uh, somewhere else. Like, especially when I saw it, I was like, yeah, what the hell do I care? You know, it's like, I had no like sense of place other than, oh, okay. That's over, uh, over by DC. Mm-hmm. Sure. You know, there's no sense yep. of place. So having actually driven through rural Maryland uh, both ways is <laughs> pretty fucking it's, fantastic. Uh, yeah, it was, it was actually, I remember, because um, I mean, you know, we talked about this in the last podcast, but like Blair Witch Project was like a huge cultural phenomenon, like expending, extending way past the movie. You know, there was parodies and it was just like everybody was covering it. You know, there was, there was, it was one of those like stories about like people getting sick at the movie theater and, and it was, it was really big. Um, and fuck, where was I? I lost my train of thought about how big it was. That's what she said. It was so um, big. Oh, that's right. There was. I remember I was watching some stand-up comedy, and the guy was just like, "I don't understand how these kids got lost in the, you know, the 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 wild, deep, like Maryland woods. When if they had just gone in just one direction for three hours, they would have ended up in front of a Walmart." <laughs> that's yeah. <laughs> And the thing is that they actually do uh they 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 do um what do you call it mention that in the movie itself which I totally didn't remember last time but they they're definitely just like it's like how could we be lost in the Maryland woods this is America there's not there's no like endless woods anymore yeah um they uh yeah they so they successfully lampshaded that part although which is such never- a, which, it's such a that's such a like northeast thing though because i mean you know you can get real fucking lost in oregon or or washington or or montana if you really want to yeah but those have been uh, states for what like a a year yeah yeah we're we're, we're still in diapers basically state-wise yeah um (laughs) oh yeah uh, there was oh, and there was the other thing is that they 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 showed you a copy of you know how to survive in the woods, yes. which I would think would have like things just like follow the stream, it's like orient yourself around landmarks you can see, like because I mean they they I, I, they 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 have that stream and like I didn't actually realize this myself. I'm not a big camper. Um, I don't go in the woods because I'm terrified. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> you got to come out to Oregon sometime. We'll go camping. It'll be great. This is the yeah, that's that's the end of the podcast. That's that's when it stops. When you come back and I don't because I've been eaten by a bear. Um, but yeah, like you, you'd think like the How to Survive in the Woods book would be able to lead you out of there, but 
you know, it's that that's like one of the things that's hard to square in the movie because these are in fact magic woods. So there's no there's no way they could have gotten out of there. That's well, that's just that's, not how it works. That I feel like is an open question. Like like that's that's the interpretation I want to take is that there's something deeply wrong with these this part of these woods, and that's why they got lost, and not that they're so incredibly incompetent. But at the same time, I don't know if it's super clear from the film that that's the case. Like I almost find it. I mean, it doesn't. I guess at the end of the day, it kind of has to be magic because they cross the same log more than once. Yeah, and I remember I saw this with my cousin. And he was just like, "Oh yeah, of course that happens because you know every <laughs> on every person, like one leg is slightly longer than the other. So if you don't orient yourself correctly, you'll go in circles." It was like, no, they had a fucking compass. Yeah, that's that's, and I feel like I feel like we don't get as much time with some of those questions, which is probably for the best because that's a way to yeah. keep it from being a continuity nightmare and something that you have to do a whole lot more explaining away of stuff if you just yeah. don't address it, then fine. Let's go with the confusion uh, and run with it. So as far as that goes, it's probably a smart decision for the film. But it is one of those things where if I get out of sort of like the I'm watching a scary movie mindset into the uh, how do I relate to what's going on in this survival situation, it's hard not to be like... Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you mention? Wouldn't you mention uh, some of the weird shit going on? But uh, let's let's not take it that. That's the exact wrong way to watch this movie. Basically, um, I yeah, will. I will say. You, so so you you found you, you watched this. Did you watch it just uh, for the first time last night? Since however long it's been since you saw it? Yeah, uh, almost exactly twenty years. Wait, no, fifteen years. Because uh, the movie was released in July of nineteen ninety nine. Right. And um, it was, I only found that out yesterday because I was just Googling Blair Witch for like trivia and stuff. And there's like all of these, you know, posted two days ago, posted three days ago. I'm like, what? And it's, yeah, we're just right now on its 15th anniversary, which is crazy. Nice. Yeah. Uh And um, yeah, so yeah, this is the first time I've seen this movie in 15 years. And, and and you got a good scare out of it. Yeah, yeah. And it's a lot more of a period piece now, too, and like a really successful one. Um, because it, it, it did not strike me in the 90s just how really 90s this movie is. Just like the, the way they're dressed, the way they speak, um, you know, like the cultural touchstones, the limited technology. Although the crew had a GPS. <laughs> The, uh, the the crew making this movie the way that what they did was that they actually got these kids lost in the fucking woods and uh, they had a GPS and then they would just give them GPS coordinates where like the next thing was right um, and then they just sort of had to improvise the stuff from there just you know they had like it was it was retroscripted um, like uh, what do you call it like uh, paranormal activity was but you know like the the script beats and stuff were like hidden for them in like little caches um, and they more than once missed the drop which is <laughs> hilarious um, yeah there's like a there's a bunch of stuff in this movie that's um, basically outtakes that they kept in and that helps a lot with the uh, you know, the, uh, what do you call it, the, the realism, like all the way in the beginning where she refers to Josh as like Mr. Punctuality, it's because the actor was very late to the set. <laughs> um, and, you know, the whole conversation about them like fucking up the depth of field when they were shooting uh, Mary, what's her name? Yeah, Mary Brown. Uh, that also actually happened. That was the actor talking about how he fucked up the camera because he didn't see that the, he couldn't tell the difference between the meters and the feet on it. Nice. Um, and also the scene where, uh, what's her name, Heather finds that like... Uh, bundle of uh of sticks tied up with uh josh's shirt and just throws it away she wasn't supposed to throw it away which is why she has to come back and open it because the crew was just like no you actually have to open the thing (laughs) nice i uh i i will say uh 
the one thing that did not hold up for me watching it again uh, for the first time uh, in a, in years uh, was the scariness. Like like it, I I enjoyed the the ride of it, but. I really didn't get into an off-kilter, uncomfortable, scared place with it at all. And I don't know if this is a commentary on the film or a commentary on just how I watch horror films at this point or a commentary on how I watch horror films specifically when I'm going to podcast them or just a commentary on me being like dead inside or something. But I, I, I really – that was the one thing that was missing because I really enjoyed watching it again. I thought it was really interesting to sit down and watch it again and sort of compare it to my memory of it from years ago and see what I remembered and what I forgot uh, and the feel of it. Uh, and, and, and certainly I really enjoyed looking at it in terms of some of the other found footage stuff we've talked about and the stuff I've seen in the interim. Uh, but I wasn't really scared. like you know. And I remember being uh, – in a very sort of like I'm out with my friends and we're too cool to be scared by a horror movie because we're going to see a midnight showing thing and still being a little bit, you know, I, I remember being pretty wrapped when I was watching it, you know, you know, making jokes during the film and, and all that aside. I remember being really sort of uh, caught by it and it was a great experience and seeing it in the theater the way I did, but I really didn't, I didn't have that coming back to it. I really, it was, it was kind of a, an intellectual experience for me watching it the second time. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I can see that. And also, you're also pretty comfortable with, like, the woods. They're not for You go camping, right? Sure. Yeah, so they're not like... It, it's not like terra incognita for you. And, like, you know, even if it, it, it was, at the, at the very least, slightly more foreign to you when you were younger, just because you were younger, you have less experience. But, like, you know, eventually, you know, if you are comfortable in the woods, I can see how that part of it... Uh, just doesn't get to you, but like, um, yeah, and I mean, like, I have like an outsized dislike of being in in the woods in nature. I, I don't like it. It makes me uncomfortable and unnerved. Like, I'm living in a first floor apartment now, and I can like hear like ambulances like coming by every once in a while, and, like people talking in the street outside my windows, and like that. I'm actually this is the most comfortable I've ever been anywhere I've ever lived. <laughs> so it's just like, oh, thank God, there's there's civilization outside. People are alive. So yeah, I um, and also I mean I had like spent the entire day like packing boxes and moving, and I was just like physically and emotionally exhausted by the time I sat down to watch this movie at eleven o'clock at night. So you're in a very vulnerable place at that point. Yeah, yeah. So it it you know I, I think it had like an outsized effect on me, which is totally great. Like you know, hey, I I enjoy being like the kind of scared that I was by this movie is the kind of scared I would in, I enjoy being by horror movies. It wasn't like the kind of scare that makes me like uncomfortable. Although yeah. I, at some points I'd be like, hey, I'm just gonna go on my phone and Google some Blair Witch trivia because <laughs> movies kind of scaring the crap out of me. And uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's that's pretty crazy. We we had um, just very disparate, but at the same time enjoyable experiences of this movie. Yeah, I kind of wonder if that's kind of a thing with me in general at this point. Like, I'm trying to think of the last time I got a really good scare out of a film. You know, and I feel like I, I feel like actually the Paranormal Activity films have done a pretty good job of putting me on edge um, for whatever reason. Uh, House of the Devil wasn't bad either, although it still felt more like I, I I don't think I ever stopped feeling like I was watching a movie when I was watching House of the Devil, but I do remember really being taken by it by the end. I remember especially the transition at the 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 blood moon thing where there was sort of the changeover. I remember at that point, like I was still aware that I was like watching a movie and, and but I remember being really kinda like fucking A, you know, 
something at that point. But yeah, I don't know. I I may have I, I may have sort of uh, burnt out a fuse or something at some point because uh, it it does feel like a lot of the time I enjoy watching a horror movie, uh, but don't end up feeling super duper scared by it per se. And I think maybe part of the problem is I'm 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 thinking also of films that I've rewatched, and that's going to be more of an issue. Uh, like I, I think I would have been okay. So here's here's part of what I'm thinking with Blair, which part of why I feel like you know maybe I wasn't so much scared watching it again is I really do remember enough of the sort of beats in the film where I probably was scared the first time, and I remember things that were really effective. And it's hard for me to not sort of one really really think about those things which sort of changes it from you know anticipating the unknown to anticipating the extremely known uh and also they don't work as well the second time because i know it's coming like like i remember the the final shot of the film like the the, mm-hmm. the the last thing uh mikey in the in the darkness standing facing into the corner in the basement of the house and then the camera right. goes over and that's the end of the film and that was a really great way to finish this film because it's just like a it, wrapping the lore that we've been presented piecemeal throughout mm-hmm. and call back to much earlier in the film you know it's it's just a fundamentally creepy thing to be doing in the situation you know everything about it works and it's a great final shot and i think uh, I, I feel like I remember everybody in the theater being like, holy shit, when they got to that, and then boom, yep. that was the end of the movie. And that was great. But you know what? I remember that. I remember it being a really striking shot. you know. And so coming back to it you know, over a decade later, and I get to it, it's like, oh, yep, there's a shot of Mikey in the corner. You know, It's not like, it's not like oh, fuck. It's like, oh, right, right. That's, yeah, they, they did close it with that. You know? it, it, that's, yeah. uh, and, and everything about the film that I remember being sort of like a, oh, fuck sort of moment was instead of like, oh, yeah, yeah, oh, he kicked the map in the thing. Oh, yeah, the, the bundle of sticks. Oh, yeah, the, the, the rocks. Oh, the, yeah, the, the, the attacking the tent. I think I, I, maybe, you know, to the film's credit, a lot of the little things that worked really well and it ended up being pretty indelible uh, in my memory, but that may have been the thing that sort of pushed it away from being able to be sort of a genuine, like, you know, revisiting a sense of fright for me. Right, yeah, I mean... Um yeah, I think that's sort of like the movie falls prey to its own success in a way, because uh, it's you know the, the end. It's one of those like you know like Daffy Duck. It only works once, sort of things where it's you know that the ending to the movie. The first time you see it, like if it gets you, it's going to get you, and you are not going to forget that ending. Like the you know the basically the the. I, I, could, I can basically draw the before even before I watch this. I could probably draw that last scene yeah. from memory because it's just imprinted. Like I, I have never forgotten exactly what happens like during that very last scene in Blair Witch Project. Like I'm, I didn't, I wasn't entirely sure which characters it was going to happen to, but you know, by by the time it's happening, and you know exactly what's happening to. Um, but yeah, like it, it doesn't work the same way the second time. But like everything coming up to that scene, like the really quick cutting between the eight millimeter and the sixteen millimeter camera like um just that the the the, uh the weird silences like uh crap heather heather yeah heather yeah uh heather just being like hey slow down slow down and just like mikey being mikey and just like running around um you know that 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 still was all really effective for me um just because there's you know that's not there's nothing to remember in that i guess it's that's all just you know raw emotional like it's you know 
shaky cam uh, sort sort of thing. There's, you know, you 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 can remember it, but there's nothing more to remember. It's like, oh, okay, they run around the place, they go up, then they go down. And I totally forgot about the handprints part, which was didn't work as well the second time because it was just like, did they break into a kindergarten? <laughs> um, <laughs> it's a rural preschool. Yeah. <laughs> Just did not did not work as well the second time, um, but but yeah, like the, the the things that scared me this time were not exactly the things that scared me last time, and like things that didn't scare me the previous time scared me this time just because the idea of being lost in the woods wasn't as scary as it is now for some reason. Um, just because I guess I've grown less comfortable with the woods as I get older. I don't know. Um, I definitely went to the woods more often back then because my mom uh, dated a guy who had a cabin in the Catskills, and we used to go out there pretty often. And then I I went to summer camp where we would go, um, you know, it was a day camp, but we would have, like, overnight trips to, again, the Catskills. um, And, yeah, and then, but since then, I I haven't, like, been in the woods for at least 10 years of my life now. Uh, So they're a lot farther away in that sense. There's some wind on your mic, by the way. Dante. Oh, I think that might be the oscillating fan. Ah, that would do it. Cause it, it didn't, it didn't match up with your breathing patterns. I was thinking maybe it was nose, but unless you like every five seconds fired a blast of air through your nose while talking, which didn't really make sense. So, Oh no, no, that is how I talk, oh. but it was, it was timed at the exact same rate as the oscillating fan. <laughs> I feel much better now. Now you can die of heat stroke. Sorry about that. Uh, yeah, no, I, 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 that, that's, I guess that's why I kind of, I, I don't want to make it seem like a criticism of the film that I didn't feel scared by it because, because right. a lot of the stuff that I think was really effective and was pretty engaging, even if I didn't end up, you know, in that sort of scared place, there was a lot of really effective, there's a, a lot of tension and a lot of, uh, sort of media ambiguity in, in the handling of, uh, film, like, like, visual and sound that I think works really well for the movie uh, in a way that you were talking about that final scene before we actually get to the the final reveal shot of Mikey Mm -hmm. standing in the corner, the two of them in the house and running around, it does something that I feel like the film ended up doing a really good job of setting that up with previous versions of this. The fact that there were two different uh, sources of video and two different sources Mm -hmm. of audio and the movement between them and the fact that that wasn't always immediately clear what was going on until you pieced together, I think really, really worked well for the film. And it's a big part of what ends up working yeah. in some of those more chaotic scenes. Uh, yeah, I, I, I mean, I think when we talk about found footage or like movies that feature found footage, you know, we, we've talked about the who's editing this problem. And this movie managed to just pace it in such a way and like put you into it in such a way that it sort of stops being a question. Like I was not asking that uh, nearly as like, I mean, at the beginning, yeah, when it because, you know, they're, they're constantly crossing. I, I, if if you haven't seen this movie, which um, or you don't know how this movie works, you? yeah, yeah, that's uh, first of all, go go watch this movie it's um, on Netflix. It's eighty six minutes. Is it? Yeah, uh, I was watching it not on Netflix, and I'm like ninety five percent sure the captions I had came from like Simple English Wikipedia because they did not match up. <laughs> I was going to ask you about that because like this is a that's a whole other conversation, but uh, but yeah, we'll come back to the sound and the captions. Uh, um, but, uh, crap, worry. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, first of all, go watch this movie, but, yeah, so there's two cameras. There's a 8mm, um, hand camera, and then there's a 16mm, like, uh, you know, big, like, 
news footage camera. That's I, I looked it up. Like the kind of camera they had, I think it was called it like a CM sixteen or something. It was the the kind of camera that they used for news reporting on the scene. But it was like one of the you know big shoulder ones that you had to like carry on. Um, and so one of the sixteen millimeter one was black and white. The hand cam one was colored, but the color was. I don't know if they desaturated on purpose or if it's just because it's the rainy fucking woods in the autumn. Um, but the, like the the palette was very, it was very drab, and that, that helped with the movie a lot actually. Um, but yes, but that final scene. So, um, so a lot, of, a bunch of this movie takes place. There's the movie takes place in like there's two different things. There's like there's first there's the day stuff and it takes place over three days. First there's the day stuff where it's just like fuck we're lost. Uh, I'm yelling at you. You're yelling at me. Where's the map? The map doesn't work. Blah blah. And you know you get all the uh, the, the, the and I mean I say blah blah but it's actually it's interesting. You get all the character dynamic stuff in the day and then at night you get the supernatural stuff of them just being scared shitless, running around if they have to. Um, and one of the really effective things in this movie is that, so they've got the, uh, the 16 millimeter camera, it's got a floodlight on it. Um, but that's the only light source they have and it's the woods. They're actually in the, they're, you know, they're in the real woods. So you, you get a lot of like shots of just, you know, like branches illuminated, but then beyond that, it's just black and the characters clearly, they, you know, they, even though they've got the lights on, you know, part of the thing of the film is that they, they, their, their vision is adjusted to night vision. Ours as the viewer is not because the camera isn't. You know, um, so you get a lot of just like, you know, the, so that very last scene where you're just like, oh shit, it's a house. You know, you just watch, it's it's pitch black as it always is during those night shots. And then they approach and then there's like this terrifying derelict house just comes out of you out of the darkness, which is just like this really, really great shot. And it's, and it's you know, it's a composed shot, but that's, that, that's not like a set house. Like, I'm, I'm pretty sure they didn't build that for the movie. I don't think they had that kind of money. And it was clearly derelict. And it's just it, just the, the impact of just, like, watching it, like, emerge from the darkness is really, really cool. Um, and it's, it's, and it's not even a special effect. It's just, it, it's, it's the opposite. It's a limitation of the technology that they're using that they use to bring about that effect. Yeah, the most literal sort of practical effect. They just, you know, use the exposure of the film uh, and boom, you, yeah, you get that exactly that looming out, and, and and it's such a it's such a turning point moment at the end of the film too, when at last there is something concretely human other than them, and that's both good and bad news, obviously, because uh, it's like okay, well, there's at least some sign of something other than you mm-hmm. know piles of rocks in the woods and bundles of sticks and uh, Josh's teeth. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but at the same time, you know, the the lore and everything we're moving towards mm-hmm. the idea that there is someone out here, and where would someone out here be? Probably the house that's out here. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, no, it, it, yeah, it, it is really great, and it's this film does a lot of stuff really well economically, which I guess makes sense since it's you know the whole narrative is that it was a very cheaply made independent film. Um, but like 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 Paranormal Activity, it it, it does a, a lot with very little. And the the house is a great example of that. You know, the the house looming out of the darkness, and then the running through the house. You know, the handprints on the wall uh, may feel a little bit. Yeah, it's it's easy to feel a little bit cheesy about it, but it's as a way to tie in once again the idea of you know missing children and what's going on here. You know, works nicely. And yeah, that's all you need. You just need a sort of ramshackle looking house and some handprints and some running around and yelling and shaky cam, and boom, you're there. Uh, The most of the spooky uh, prop effects in this film consist of 
piles of rocks and sticks. You know, I mean, yeah, like little stick effigies that they hang from trees. Yeah, and rocks um, piled on the ground, and in a couple cases, rocks piled in baskets tied to trees, yeah. essentially. And some slime that we don't actually ever see. Like, you know, it's a, you did, you know, the, the, their equipment, uh, Josh's equipment gets covered in slime and they're like, oh, there's some kind of slime on this. But, you know, it's a eight millimeter hand camera from like 1999. You're not getting a lot of resolution on that. It just looks wet. Yeah. But, so- you know, like it's the, 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 you know, they describe it. They go into, you know, they, they, they just, they, offhandedly describe it, but, but it works. Like it's, 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 it's a, it's a, it's a special effect for the mind's eye. Yeah, and a lot of lot of work done with this movie with with sound. You know, I mean, so yeah. much of the actual spooky stuff that we mm-hmm. get uh, that, that the stuff that was most effective at being spooky to me was the sound design stuff, uh, just because it works so well as sort of weird, mysterious, abstract stuff, mm-hmm. and then less abstract as we start getting into human voices. Uh, and 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 so much of it is dissociated from any kind of imagery, which definitely is a strength in this case. Because if you give me a creepy giggling child in the woods, uh, and you show me a picture of a giggling creepy child, it's really easy to just not get what you want out of a child actor, as far as that goes, or your framing of that child actor. But if you just get rid of the picture entirely and just get someone to do a good little bit of you know creepy child giggling voice acting and then throw some reverb on it and throw it in, in the distance so you really have to reach with your ears to hear it, then you're getting a lot of work out of me trying to track down that thing for you instead of looking at the picture you showed me of it. Uh, Funny thing about the uh, so yeah the 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 last night when they hear like the very very evident like children giggling and talking noises the way that they did that was uh, one of the directors uh, Eduardo Sanchez I think his name is um, he just got a bunch of like kids in his neighborhood to like record like where he recorded them talking gibberish and you know laughing and giggling and then he brought a giant ass boombox that he told none of the cast about and just in the middle of the night blasted like the the children giggling noises which i think is they they fucked with the cast quite a bit on this and it's you know just in the very best way yeah um Although I did read another thing where he was just like, apparently, I, I read about the commentary. I didn't actually listen to the commentary. Where uh, at one point, uh, the same director, there's two directors on this side, uh, Roberto Sanchez, and oh, what the hell's the other guy's name? I'll, well, I'll look that up. But um, he was just like, it's like, and here you see that they're talking about leaving, but they're not packing up because they know we're going to pack the stuff up for them. <laughs> uh, Daniel Myrick was the other Daniel Myrick. Yeah, and you know what? I uh, Before I forget, it's kind of, it's a little sad. But nobody from this movie, um, you know, the, none, the directors, the cast, I don't know about the producers at all, but none of the directors of the cast ever really did anything except this, of well, note. Except, well, yeah, I, I, I don't see anything big of note. Uh, Josh Leonard went on yeah, he, to do a bunch of stuff. I mean, yeah, it looks like a bunch actor, of, yeah, he did a bunch but, of TV stuff. I mean, nothing, yeah, yeah. nothing that looks like it. This did not jumpstart anybody's like rise to Hollywood fame yeah. any more than it did like unless unless you got like directly after the movie was made and they were all like you know celebrities for like a hot second they got their fifteen minutes but that was it nobody really yeah did anything um, I think 
Josh continued to be a uh, actor. Michael C. Williams, I think, like what I read last thing, they knew that he was studying to be a guidance counselor. And Heather Donahue grew marijuana and wrote a book about growing marijuana, I medical mean. marijuana. Um, and I think they're making a movie out of the book she wrote or something. Huh. I don't know. But um, yeah, they, there's, no, there's no movie stars or like big-time directors from this. And Myrick and Sanchez, uh, they both directed some other movies, but nothing nothing too notable. Um, but they're still working now. Like uh, Sanchez's um, last movie was 2014, and Myrick's last movie was 2008. And he's got something in production, it looks like. Um, but yeah, it's, it's kind of, it's, it's, it's a bit of a shame, but you know, I, I can't imagine it was from lack of trying that they didn't Yeah, succeed. It's, it's a tricky thing because you take a sort of random nobody independent film and then it blows up. It doesn't mean you suddenly have more resources than you had when you started, you know, per se. So, uh, also just another little note that this amused me when we were talking about paranormal activity, but but this film did the same thing earlier, so uh, another bit of, I guess, sort of found footage heritage. The fact that they used the the names of the actors, yep. uh, which which assists very much with, as you were saying, the uh-huh. using of sort of outtake stuff, because they don't have people saying the wrong character names uh, or, or saying actor rather than character names, so I guess mm-hmm. that sort of helps with uh, some of the footage uh, usefulness. Um Sound. So you were talking about captions, and this is this mm-hmm. is a thing that I'm sort of of two minds about this film, uh, as far as its use of sound design. Because on the one hand, I actually I really really like that the sound uh, is very uneven and is very uh, authentically bad in a lot of places. Um, yeah, I mean, all the sound is supposed to be coming from, like, the one dat that they have, right? Yeah. Like, that's supposed to be recording all of the sound. Yeah, yeah. They've got the dat, and they've got the, the mic on the cam, the little digital camcorder, and mm-hmm. the mic on the camcorder is obviously not great for picking up much yeah. of anything other than the person holding it. Yeah, and the 16mm doesn't have a cam, uh, doesn't have a mic on it, I think. Yeah, they, yeah. They yeah, were using not, the boom yeah. mic for that, and then they... they Stopped using. Is the stick? Is the is the, is the stick the boom part of the boom mic? I think so, they yeah. stopped using because they stopped using that, and he had it just he just had it strapped to his stomach or something or something. Yeah, I didn't see. Yeah. I didn't notice exactly what he'd done with it, but yeah, uh, yeah. The, the, so the sixteen's just uh, shooting uh, the picture, and then they're pulling yeah. up the dat afterwards. Uh, 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 and well, I want to talk about the editor t- thing too, but uh, but the sound thing I think is really interesting, and I like the fact that they left so much of the stuff basically inaudible. Yep. Um, and I think that's probably it's kind of perfect for a theater uh, because in the theater you can get away with really turning things up and so the stuff that's just on the edge of an audible is just on the edge of an audible whereas when things get loud they get really loud and that's perfect for a scary what's going on panicky horror movie setting Uh, watching it at home uh, I didn't want to turn it up quite that much um, and so a lot of that stuff just was the point of I kind of had to take their word for it that there was something on the edge of an audible because it just wasn't audible. And I don't like watching stuff like this with captions on. So uh, so I just like, you know, I had to sort of wonder. And then I watched it. I, I watched it again this morning uh, and, and watched it with headphones on and, and had it plenty loud. And a lot of that stuff was still pretty fucking inaudible. You know, I could I could hear it this time, you know, more unambiguously. 
but it was still hard to make stuff out. And it's an interesting thing where on the one hand, I think it's really a strength of the film that you really are having to lean in and really getting trying to engage with these not quite good enough recordings. But it's also something where to whatever extent they put meaningful stuff in some of that stuff just on the edge of hearing, it's not really a film that allows even a attentive viewer to pick up on what's going on just by watching it. I feel like this is a film that kind of in some ways wants to be studied, wants to be a subject of sort of an obsessive, you know, conspiracy theory fan uh, dismantling or whatever. Mm. But at the same time, you really, there's no way someone's going to get there without sitting down and really basically treating it like homework to recover Thing like things that Josh is shouting near the end of the film, like he's definitely shouting words, but I couldn't tell what most of them were, you know, and 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 stuff like that. So it it, it it's a weird place where it's almost setting itself up to be an artifact of coming over. It's almost like an uh, an ARG, uh, you know, alternate reality game in a film, kind of before that became such a big thing on the internet, and and. So yeah, that's 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 my that's my sort of conflict over the sound design. I think it's really effective, but it's also kind of kind of asking a lot of just an actual viewer. I yeah, I mean, I, I kind of agree with that, but on the other hand, like ninety five percent of the dialogue does not matter. Sure, ninety five percent of the dialogue is "We're lost." I'm mad. Yeah, and 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 that's basically it. And, well, yeah, you know, the, and, and I guess I should clarify that most of the stuff that's really hard to hear is the stuff that really is more sound design, spooky stuff from off camera. And that is the stuff that I imagine is probably less improvised and more very purposefully chosen as part of the scary aspect of the film. So, like, yeah, like like them mumbling about losing, being lost in the woods. I don't, I doubt much of that was super fucking important. Uh, but the stuff that was on the edge of hearing because it was this scary stuff that we couldn't quite make out, that felt like it was probably – it seems like that would have been a lot more designed. So not being able to tell what it is exactly, even on a close listen, is a little bit more frustrating. Yeah, I can uh, – yeah, I can I can understand that. Um, I'm just trying to think like was there any of the dialogue – I mean there's I, – I can, I can think of like literally four or five things in the dialogue that actually mattered to the movie, which was uh, Mikey admitting that he kicked the map into the river. And like I, that – the way he phrased it just kind of took me out of the movie for a second because I just immediately thought of the scene in Arrested Development where Job is like attempting to throw the envelope into the ocean and keeps failing <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm just picturing like this series of outtakes of Mikey attempting to literally kick the map into the river and it just keeps flying back at him and it's just not working. So that took me out of it a little bit. <laughs> um, the thing where uh, Josh just like really gets like all up in Heather's face um, about the, uh, you know, getting them lost. And then that was, that part was, I, I think lost a little bit of the you know like the found footage feel just because that part felt like like scripted monologue like it's like we're doing this and we're lost in the woods and then this happened and we're lost in the woods and he just keeps repeating that in a very like acting way that you know took me out of it a bit but on the other hand you know these are 20 something film students yeah. so you know why wouldn't they talk like 20 something film students yeah, it's, it's interesting actually yeah. I would say you know that is one of the things I could criticize about portions of the movie and i think to some extent just because they were 
it must have been a weird process making this thing, but it does feel like there 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 are certain scenes in the movie that were a little bit more felt more like oh I'm watching people trying to create you know an improvised thing around a loose structure that's scripted here thing, and I feel like the map kicking scene felt a little bit like that like you know. I, I remember watching it the first time even and vibing on, on the one hand, I get the idea of the crazy weird insanity of just doing something stupid mm-hmm. and Mikey sort of like losing a little bit about the fact that he did this stupid thing. But on the other hand, him sort of the whole scene with him, the reveal about the map mm-hmm. almost felt like, you know, he was cackling at it being kind of a dumb thing in the script. Like, you know, and, and, and a dumb, irrational thing to do is a great thing to throw into a script about a, a real thing, a real situation, because people do dumb, irrational things that don't make a good plot point per se. Like they, it's like, where's your character motivation for doing that thing that was just straight up dumb? You know, it's like, it's not like you did it because of an interesting, complicated set of motivations. You didn't do it because of, you know, some betrayal that is now just surfacing after years of you know, planning it's, you did it cause it was dumb and it was a weird instinct and you were being petulant and you know, that, that feels real, but at the same time, it's still that moment for me, for whatever reason felt a little bit like, Oh, this is a necessary plot point, you know? And it's not even that super important point. Cause it's like, they were lost with the fucking map. So who cares if they don't yeah. have the map? Uh, but yeah, I remember thinking that a little bit and yeah, the same thing as you say with Josh doing sort of like the recitation, it felt a little bit like, Someone's being a writer now, you know, it feels a little bit like, you know, uh, a moment that, you know, someone planned rather than a moment that's just sort of naturalistically happening. Um, so I, I guess I agree with you about that vibe. Yeah, there was, um, and then I'm just trying to think of the, uh, any other just partial dialogue. And then, and then, you know, Heather's, um, you know, like the really famous, uh, monologue that she gives. Yeah. Yeah, is it a is it a monologue or is it that other thing? Uh, what is that thing called? Soliloquy. Soliloquy. Yeah, that it, that it. I mean, it depends on if you count yourself as the person she's addressing or not. Because yeah, I mean, that's I think I, that's a, I, I I would call it a monologue. Soliloquy sounds a little too stagey to me. Soliloquy yeah. feels like it needs to be you know a speech delivered to an audience uh, in sort of like a hey. And now I'm going to give you a speech sort of way that, that may be a completely unrealistic, you know, narrow reading of the term to me, but that's what it brings right. up for me. It feels um, inherently Shakespearean. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I think that's the first thing anybody ever associates that word with. Um, and yeah, I think that, I mean, that's, that's basically it. There's uh, other than that, just all the dialogue is just sort of goes in circles, which is fine. Like it's not, it's not a fault of the movie that the dialogue does that. It's just that it doesn't really matter for the plot. And I mean, to be fair, there's not much plot in this either. It's, it's literally, they get lost in the woods, a couple of creepy things happen and then they all die. Yep. Yeah. The whole whole middle section of the film has a lot of, like paranormal activity had, you know, it had a, it, it sort of had like a character arc. It had, it had, you know, more of a plot arc. This didn't, you know, this, this didn't have as much character development as character. Just, you know, slowly you became, you, you started to know who these people were and you started to see what happens to them under an extreme amount of stress. But it, it, it wasn't like it, it was, it was different. It was, um, you know, like a, a lot of, what do you call it? 
science fiction is is accused or eh, i mean it's true that that you know you you don't get a lot of character development in like earlier science fiction you just get like somebody with a distinct personality is thrust into a situation and you see what they do in that situation yeah. but you know they don't they don't grow as a result of the experience and you know the same thing sort of here like nobody discovers that they have like you know the power to outlast this <laughs> you know things just get worse and worse and worse and then they die yeah and I think I think the the sort of the arc of the film with the uh, sort of sort of the opening act of just this hopeful documentary making and then uh, there's not I, there's not really a super strong act structure to the film. I mean, you could argue that once they realize that they're a bit lost, you know, that's sort of act two, or you know, once they're properly in the woods and they first find weird pile of rocks, you know. You could sort of call that the opening act two and call Josh's disappearing act three, but uh, but it, it's sort of soggy uh, definition wise. But 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 the whole the, the the slow creep up of sort of tension and worry and increasing sense of hopelessness and and sort of panic works really well for the film. But I think that's one of the things that maybe that's part of why it didn't get me as much on a revisit is because I've already seen them th- through that arc too. And the reason the arc works pretty well the first time, I think, is because uh, even though intellectually you can sit there and be aware you're watching what is you know a, a contrived you know fake documentary, it's still you don't know any of these characters the first time. You don't know what they're like. You don't know how they're going to respond to stress, and then you see the stress mounting up and and their reactions and, and and the occasional snapping into a real visceral you know terrible fighting sort of thing. All of that is very. It's very uncomfortable to watch in a oh shit you know you know my my friends are fighting or or these people on the street are fighting sort of way you know a lot of that really works uh at a some sort of you know subliminal level almost you know you really relate to people being in an unhappy situation and the specific lack of a sort of melodramatic control over the situation takes away some of the uh reassurance we'd other get wise get watching a more traditional uh, you know, fiction film. Like if we watch, if we watch a, a terrible, sad scene with a, a nice soundtrack emphasizing how sad it is, or you know, a, a conflict between lovers or whatever, you know, it can be very engaging. But at the same time, it very, very, very much feels like watching fiction. And I think watching people just be angry and upset and uncomfortable about each other without any of that framing, without the soundtrack, without the you know camera work, without any of that stuff to really sort of reassure you that what you're watching is a production of a tragic story. Uh, it's a lot more effective, especially the first time. It really, it's right. easy to get under your skin the same way it would if you're sitting at a restaurant and the people in the next booth over get in a worse and worse argument. Like, you know, you know, it's not, you know, I mean, assuming that they aren't waving guns around, you know, it really mm-hmm. doesn't involve you. But at the same time, it really pushes our buttons. It really, you know, it's hard to ignore uh, human beings in naturalistic, you know, distress. Uh which I think really works well for the film, even when sometimes the dialogue is a little bit clunky or the plot points feel like they sort of got delivered to them on a card uh, earlier <laughs> that morning or whatever. Um, I don't know if I'm going anywhere with this. I just, I, I thought it was, a okay, well I, I will go somewhere with this. One of the things that I like about the movie is that it attempts to take advantage of this partly by creating uh, a bit of an artificial distinction 
uh, that emphasizes the naturalness of most of the footage in the film by having Heather do a couple of those scenes from the documentary she wants to make. Uh, yeah, and that's that's an interesting it's an interesting framing device for the film because it's it's an obvious easy setup. Okay, independent you know a- amateur documentary filmmaker decides to try and go make a movie, and that's why we've got all the cameras. So boom, we've got that established. Um, but the fact that we get to see a little bit of the notional documentary, this this film within the film, and it's really really totally different from everything else we say. Yeah, I mean she 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 breaks into like Julianne Moore and the Big Lebowski voice in it and her uh, that's one of that's when I noticed that the closed captions were like totally off because her uh, you know her diction changes and her vocabulary just gets really flowery and it it becomes very like this is a 25-year-old trying to do a documentary about something they think is very important or or significant in some way because they she, you know she really sort of goes overboard on the dialogue in there, yeah, and the captioning captures none of it. Like I said, like that's when it felt like the difference between reading like a book and reading the simple English Wikipedia summary of the book. <laughs> it was like that was the difference between the things. Um, and and yeah, like I, I I like those scenes just because you know with her you know and um and, you know you the, the, you know the, the, you get that shot of her like putting on makeup um and you know her hair is. You know, she she does her hair like for the uh, for the earlier scenes when they're not hiking, and then they you know like contrasted with like you know the really deep woods like when she's just like you know no makeup at all, hair tied back, you know, n- not even any cigarettes left. You know, they haven't eaten. Just like that, there's a really distinct difference, uh, you know, between her appearance specifically in those shots. Because I mean, you know, th- and it's not it's you know part of it's because you know she's she's a woman and you know different things are expected. And the other part is be you know because she's also the she was the only one that was going to be on film that wasn't you know an interviewee um on this and just like the the like the big big difference in her appearance is like one of those things that the movie um you know like that's one of the ways that you know that like things are now different than they were like it's it's not only like the fact that they're not talking like they did in the um you know in the earlier scenes and i read like an interview like with the uh the directors at the av club did back when the movie just came out which means the av club is 15 years old which is crazy Jesus. to think about yeah. um you know and I, I guess it was back when it was you know like a feature of the onion and not its own uh its own thing um but yeah, they, they said it's like, you know, he was just like, yeah, well, you know, we aired this movie at Sundance, and, you know, when the movie opened, like, you know, people were uh, were laughing along, um, you know, with, with, you know, like the antics of the of the cast, and, you know, because they were being silly, you know, they were, they were friends, and they were funny, and it's like the very, very much that, um, very much the, that, like, first act of a teen slasher thing that, you know, you, you see in Cabin in the Woods, when, you know, like, everybody's friends, and they're having fun. Yeah, it's all this cheerful um, grab-ass stuff that's, you know, yeah, not, exactly. not a care and, in the world. Yeah, and like the director said, it's like, you know, when I, you know, we, we'd screen this a bunch of times before Sundance, and, you know, like when the audience at Sundance like laughed at those opening scenes, that's when they would, that's when we knew we got them. Um, and yeah, he also said that not too many people walked out, which is good for Sundance. <laughs> and it just reminded me of uh, an Akewood strip where, uh, you know, Beef and Ray are talking about a party Ray through. He's like, I was the party. It's like, oh, not too bad. Not too many CDs got stolen. Um, <laughs> So yeah, it sort of reminded me of that. But yeah, like just you know, like the 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 shift between like that the 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 first the the first part of the first act and what happens later is just so severe, and you see that like in the character of Heather, which I think is great. Yeah, they they really made that work well. That's uh, 
another simple sort of like arc that uh, it's really so much. The, the film really works as sort of a preponderance of small things. And I think that's, that's a nice thing about it that uh, uh, maybe I, I would say there's a difference there to the way it felt like the storytelling worked in paranormal activity, for example, uh, I, I feel like the the sort of pacing of things and character changes were a little bit more overt, felt a little bit more planned out, um, and all about little the significance of little moments and little things that were said in Paranormal Activity. Like I feel like when we were talking about, we were able to identify a lot of things. We're like, ah, oh, that thing, that image, that word. Uh, whereas this, it feels like it's not so much. Like you say, a lot of the dialogue feels really throwaway. Like it's. You know, it's just people talking. It's just people being, and it's really kind of the you know tone of voice and sense of impatience and panic and whatnot and deterioration of composition. You know, people don't feel so composed as the story goes on. That really works just as a preponderance of all that situational stuff instead of it being about that one line or that one image or whatnot. And and I think. It, it, it's a nice thing. It, it, it works really well for the film. I think it's part of what makes the character of the film feel interesting and different to me than a lot of the other found footage stuff. That uh, if, I feel like there, there, there's a degree of cleverness, and I mean, I, I mean this as a compliment. There's a degree of cleverness that is lacking from this movie. Like it doesn't feel like it doesn't feel like it's trying to get the audience to go. Oh, I see what you did there throughout. And, you know, I like it when a film does something worth saying, oh, I see what you did there. And when I see what they did there and it knows that I know that it saw it, that's great. You know, I'm not complaining about that as a way to make a film. But I I do think it's kind of refreshing watching Blair Witch and realizing that a lot of that just doesn't jump out at you on the screen. That doesn't feel like there's as many moments that are like, ah, ah, you see what I'm doing? And it's more like it just it's a bunch of pieces. It's It's really kind of a montage it's kind of a, a a collage of stuff that just works well as a whole to give you a creepy impression of the whole thing and, and it's yeah I, I, that's a thing that's a thing i like <laughs> uh i also wanted to say so we're talking we were talking about the the, the couple shots of actual documentary that we got yeah. uh, i liked those i liked the fact that they set up this sense of stiffness in heather performing that really mm-hmm gives a boost to the sense of like, you know, natural stuff later on. Cause you can say however natural you do or don't think she was being, but the film helps set up that contrast that would compensate for it. Even if she didn't seem supernatural by saying, Oh, but we've got this sense of her being fake. Um, and I thought that was, that was a clever, clever thing to do. It, it, it helps out with the, the feel of the film. Um, I also like the implication uh, that if she had not died, she was going to make a lousy documentary. Yeah, like, you know it's like yeah when she's doing they were her bad at it. Yeah, they, they they kept just. I mean, with the interview with with Mary, where she just keeps interrupting. I actually I, I wrote in my notes, just <laughs> let her talk. Seriously, yeah. Heather was like trying to drive that thing like crazy, and yeah. it kind of works with a sense of impatience and dismissiveness to it. It helps sort of give the 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 impulsiveness of her character and her desire to you know get to the thing she wants to get to, and not really you know show a lot of situational awareness about what she's doing when she does her first scene at the graveyard, the, the, the first shot of the film where she does the big voiceover, uh, I, it, you, you could replace her with Catherine O'Hara and suddenly <laughs> it's a Christopher guest comedy. Like, yes. seriously, it's like, it, it, it feels like almost exactly that. 
which I, I I thought was sort of fantastic. So anyway, that was that, that was a thing I liked. I liked I liked the use of that. I also liked the the, the two camera thing. The sixteen millimeter film camera seemed like it was really very much going to be what the the bulk of the documentary they were making was shot on. And, and this is a thing that I feel like starts as a clear sense of separation early in the film and then sort of collapses as the reason for there being a separation collapses. Uh, but I like the fact that early on we kind of get the sense that the black and white 16 millimeter stuff is all very intentional and filmic and the camcorder stuff is much more the casual behind the scenes stuff. Um, and I feel like there's something interesting to be said about maybe overthinking that intentionally a little bit as it arcs throughout the film and taking, you know, what if you assume that the 16 millimeter stuff does all remain sort of the purposeful filmic stuff? I mean, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to think that way once they're panicking because why on earth? But, yeah. you know, if you wanted to put together a crazy theory, you could say what happens if we take just the black and white footage from this film and throw away all the camcorder stuff, you know, or vice versa? What do we end up with? Um which I, well, I, I think, um, but yeah, I mean that that again runs into like the who's editing this problem because there's you know there's much much more footage. There's necessarily much much more footage than what they shot. There's no way that they you know there's no way that what happened there took exactly an hour and twenty minutes, or like that they only shot exactly an hour of twenty minutes of usable footage. Oh sure. So I think yeah, that's when it starts running into the like who 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 edited this problem, yeah. um, and then. Um, but yeah, like, you know, there, I, I can see that there being like a, a parallel universe where like the Blair Witch Project movie that we see or like the, the in-universe like movie that is released as whatever this is supposed to be released as, you know, like the, you know, a, a videotape that's passed around from person to person, like in the ring or something is only the 16 millimeter footage and is like inherently like a lot more filmic. Is that a word? It is. It is. Okay. Uh, a lot more filmic than like the handy cam stuff. But like, I think at the end, um, you know, I, and I think keeping that sort of like theory in mind is good because at the end it absolutely does collapse because they cross cut between the two cameras, like, you know, like really quickly, like, you know, there's only a couple of seconds per shot from each camera. Um, yeah. and you know, it's on purpose. It's, you know, it's, it's disorienting. It's supposed to be disorienting. Um, but yeah, and you know, like the two cameras like have different uses. Like you know, I don't think they use the hand cam in the dark very much at all because um, it didn't have. I don't think it had a light on it, did it? Uh, I don't know. It might have had a little light. I'm not totally sure on that. I don't remember too well. But um, you know, the 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 16 millimeter definitely had like that big ass light yeah, on it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, and it's it, it's interesting because the the sort of collapse of the film within a film versus just random casual footage thing mm-hmm. throughout the film. Even with that, we still get weird little bits of sort of more composed uh, shots on the black and white. You know, B roll essentially. There's a shot late in the film. I think maybe the last nightfall. There's a, a, a nice 16 millimeter shot uh, of the sun. Uh, low on the horizon between yeah. you know trees in the woods you know stuff like that so it's a, it's almost like the camera well there's a couple things going on here that are interesting and and one of them is the the editor question which I want to get into a little bit more because apparently I always want to talk about that uh, but another is sort of like kind of the idea of the character of the camera because the 16 millimeter really is much more of a movie camera movie camera you know the the mm-hmm. distinction between the two you know the, the tension is there 
in what we see, what what gets shown in black and white. The black and white footage is much more consistently, aside from running around at night or whatever, it's much more consistently uh, the composed shots, the thoughtful bits of B-roll, and and it almost you know, it almost it's like there's a character to the camera that's this sort of minor character in the film you know in the way that things look shot on it and and it's not consistent because sometimes the the black and whites used to shoot some very ordinary looking stuff too but uh but you you basically never see a beautiful composed shot from the digicam even though you could you know the, the color and the image is gonna be great but you could still try and compose a cinematic shot with it if you wanted to but that never happens in the film that i particularly recall so the two cameras sort of maintain that distinct character uh, throughout the film, just kind of, I don't know, through intentionality or just because it's more tempting to try and compose a nice, pretty shot of the woods with something that feels like a real camera more than a digital camera or, or, or what, you know. Uh, but yeah, that's, that, that's, that's the thing that sort of struck me watching it. But the editor thing, they, we have to ask the editor a question because this, just like, like anything else, uh, there's things in this film that don't make sense as someone just putting together even just a minimally coherent narrative from found footage. Like right. there, there is artifice in the editing of the film, the Blair Witch Project that doesn't really make sense in the context of the filming of a documentary by the people we see in the movie, uh, especially since, you know, these three presumably died in the woods you know, or or did they? But certainly they they didn't you know come back and uh, show people their their neat footage. Uh, there's there's basically no way they actually did any editing of sound and image with the 16 millimeter and the DAT while they were doing this. You know, they, the, right. the film was you know in cans. Uh, so somebody sat down, you know, and edited this. And if we're going to pretend for a moment that it wasn't you know uh, Eduardo Sanchez uh, and and Daniel. Uh, what's his face? Uh, if we're going to pretend that it, that within the universe of where this is a real bit of found footage, someone sat down and not only cobbled together a narrative between these two cameras, uh, but they also sat down and did stuff like cross cut to B roll, like in yeah. the in the scene where they're shooting at uh, what, 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 what one or both of the scenes that are the stiff film within a film actual footage stuff. We've got. Heather reading stuff or or reciting stuff, and then there's cutaways like cutaways in the cemetery to uh, various graves in the cemetery while her voiceover continues, which totally makes sense if you're making that scene in that documentary that she's making in the film, but doesn't make sense if you've just got a pile of footage found in the woods where some kids disappeared and it's yep. footage of things that happened leading up to their death because someone had to sit down and say, oh my gosh, we've basically found weird snuff footage from a doomed documentary team. Let's do a nice cut over to a grave during this part. You know, it's like, and, and maybe, maybe she had elaborate notes and it was intended to be some sort of, you know, homage and respectful thing. Where it's like, well, clearly her script said that there would be cutaway shots here. So we'll do that when we're coming. But still, it's like, really? Who the fuck you know, does that? Why would that know, happen? 
you know what I think the forensics team would enjoy if we symbolize their doom with this cut to B-roll? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, it's like, so someone at some point in the process mm-hmm. of cobbling together this found footage had to decide to try and actually just do a nice little cutaway shot to keep the, the picture from being static during this narration in this scene from this documentary that was never made because the people making it died in this other footage. Right, over. You know, it's like there's, it, it's really hard to find a coherent explanation for it. Uh, I think, you know, the, the, the best I can do with that is that the movie that we watch is what a person who had watched all of the footage that they found remembered. Like the like, if you sit down and watch like the you know, let's say they found like there was twenty hours of footage shot. So let's say they found twenty hours worth of footage between the two cameras. And you know, if you sit down and you watch the whole thing because you're again like on the forensics team at the police department or something, um, like this is this is the narrative that you end up constructing in your head that you then reconstruct using the footage. And you know that that could be it. it. It could be that you know, like the the movie magic is is that it compresses everything into the narrative that you would have come up with yourself if you had watched all the footage. See, I want to, I I want to, I want to take it in a slightly like I like that setup, but I still find the idea that they would then sit down and actually edit it that way unsatisfactory because it just seems so fucking weird. Um, that that even even if because I really like okay. <laughs> I'm I'm getting excited here. So I really like that take on it. That 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 take you just presented. That this is essentially someone sits down and they watch you know 20 hours of footage, uh, and then they come away with a sense of an impression of it, and then they reconstruct that impression in their memory from the footage. There, like I think that's great. And and the only the only problem with that is I still think it's absurd that they would actually sit down and do that edit because what a weird, gross, macabre thing to do. And how exactly do you dissociate the horror of the thing you're editing from your desire to edit together? And for whom are you editing it? And 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 so on. You know, um, I I, w- I would find it more plausible, I guess, if instead of being the person working at police forensics, it was someone who managed to steal the footage from police forensics and then make their own, you know, weird horror film. Like maybe one of the, whoever is involved in that weird film exchange club in the VHS. Uh, oh, like the, this world. is the result of like this is the end result of like a weird ass horror fan getting his hands on the footage. Exactly, like that. Like weird. Find. It's like weird, like and surprisingly talented. Uh, yeah, that, yeah. I, like, I mean, like, yeah, like the Blair Witch Project, the film. Uh, if we cut off the credits that are boringly actual corporate stuff and and mm-hmm. and whatnot, it could be one of the tapes sitting around in the collection of the creepy dead guy or is he dead after all house in VHS or, or, or a similar thing in VHS too, which I don't remember. Did you ever watch VHS too? I have not yet. Uh, you should watch it sometime. It's good. Uh, but yeah, so, so that, that, that could be, you know, and it's, it's a hell of a stretch, but it would actually make a nice, the VHS universe could almost become the framing device for every found footage film ever made in sort of like a Tommy Westfall theory uh, way by saying everything, that's the explanation. That's who edited it. A crazy guy who's into these magical horror snuff film things. But uh, that's, that's a lot. That's a long way to have to go to explain any given film. That's not explicitly associating itself with that mythos. So, so yeah, the, the editor problem, when I try and think about it really sort of jumps out in this one. Um, and there's also just some practical stuff. 
we get the slate in this film early on and, and a couple more glimpses of it later on, but really only, I think the only time we really see the slate is with two scenes and they're the, the, the two very stiff Catherine O'Hara esque scenes that Heather does. And other than that, we never see the slate. Um, but a slate's a really useful thing. And the reason they use slates is because if you're recording audio and video separately, mm. uh, it's not, you have to have some way to know where they sync up. And, you know, you can do that with a slate. So you, you write the, the, the scene on it and you read yep. the scene and you clap the slate. And that way the audio has a record of what the scene is. The visual has a record of what the scene is. The slap of the slate even lets you time it down to, you know, a fraction of a second. So you can link up audio and, and, and visual. Um, I mean, that's why the slate's there. It's not just right. because it's fun to have a slate. It's because you got to have some way to organize this shit. Um, you can also, in theory, sync up devices with uh, timestamp. I don't know a whole lot about the specific uh, various technology, but you know, if you, I mean, that's something that they would have access to. They had access to like a fucking slate. Yeah, you, you know, know, that's uh, the, the slate works great because it's low tech. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the thing is, you have to fucking use the slate, or the slate doesn't do anything. And almost none of this footage would have had a goddamn slate. You know, we the fact that we saw it twice is probably representing most of the times they actually used it. You know. And, and, and I certainly, the second time we saw it. I, it, she she snaps at herself before she starts reading from the book at uh, Coffin. Rock. That's right. That's um, right. So 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 whoever the editor was also had to sit down and do a shitload of work figuring out where video goes with audio. You know, to assemble this stuff because they had to sit down and basically and they they fucked up more than once too. That's the thing. There's uh, there's a couple of scenes where the there's a I mean either a there's a mismatch in the audio and the video which was IMDb says you know IMDb has it under goofs but you know it it might be it's it's either that or it's voiceover because there was definitely a couple of scenes where like I think at one point you hear Heather talking but she's smoking on camera and she's her mouth's not moving and another one where she's trying to cross the lo- log and she's nowhere near the dat um and you hear her talking over footage of her crossing the stream from across the stream yeah i i read i read both of those as very intentional uh editing choices um yeah like, i mean like, so like, did like, I. like the, the whole intent like like yeah and it's interesting i i don't want to sound like like a, a snob or something about being familiar with some, you know, basic cinema editing stuff. But I think that that may be something about the film that was varyingly either effective or just sort of confusing for folks who haven't dealt with the idea of film and, and visual being recorded separately. Uh, is that, yeah, it's like you, you really have two different sources and you can intentionally dissociate those sources. If you want to create a certain amount of effect or tension or ambiguity on the screen, and so the fact that that was happening at times felt very much, again, like someone edited this. Someone sat down and very purposely said, let's set this image against this sound instead of just shooting a talking head here. Uh, and it worked well as a, in a storytelling way, and it worked well in being slightly unsettling that you're like, oh, wait, what's going on? Oh. Um, but for people who are not familiar with that idea, it may have just come off as like, oh, they totally fucked it up. This is the wrong audio for this part, rather than someone's making an editing decision to try and, you know, work the narrative a little bit more efficiently by handling part of the job of the scene with visuals and a different part with audio and marrying those together. Um, so 
So yeah, I, I, it never occurred to me that any of that stuff was goofs. It occurred to me that it does like, this is someone editing a film. It just, it creates the question of who the fuck is the editor. Uh, yeah. which is, which I think is a really it's Rustin Parr. <laughs> I think it's Katie from paranormal activity. I think this is this was a side project she was working on when she wasn't working on the main demons film project. She was doing some uh, work for no. It's the demon. It's the demon from Paranormal Activity. This is what he does when he's not bothering people. It's the, that okay. That's that's what it is. That's the framing device. The VHS universe with the the creepy film club. The 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 demon making uh, Katie probably edit her own films. He's responsible for all of it, or or his club. There's probably a whole. There's probably a demonic found footage, like Dogma ninety five, uh, like the demon version of Lars von Trier is responsible for this whole. Because I mean, Dogma ninety five and the ninety nine, we get Blair Witch. They had time to develop some techniques. Uh, time works a little bit different for demons, probably. So that's probably it's probably just that same demon is responsible for everything. Wait, wait, where's the non-demon version of Lars von Trier? <laughs> <laughs> well, What's he been doing? Sometimes he wears a skin suit and pretends to be human. Basically. I haven't seen any of the non-demon <laughs> versions movies. Is, is he also a filmmaker? Or is he just like some Danish guy? Um. <laughs> anyway, that's the. I'll stop talking about yeah. the editor thing because I, I always, I, I, I. At some point, at some point, I'm going to see a found footage film that is simultaneously really super compelling as a film and manages to not make me stop and say, okay, but who the fuck edited it? And I'll be really entertained. I mean, I mean, that's that's why VHS works so well. It's because it it would make sense that like, because I mean, a number of those movies happen in real time or where like, you know, the only editing is the camera being turned on or off. So it, it works for a short film. It just, it would not work for an hour and a half long movie. Yeah. yeah there's a, there's a tension between wanting to have the sense of the authenticity of a thing and wanting to have a watchable movie. And it's just, it's, it's hard to find a way to, you know, square the two. Yeah, exactly. So, so yeah, I, I'll be curious if there, I, I figure at some point someone's going to get, at least closer. And at some point I'm going to be like, okay, I cannot in good conscience, conscience even complain about this, but I haven't gotten there yet. You know, I, I like these films. I really like thinking about this stuff, but it always ends up remaining a question. It always remains a question that I don't feel like there's really a satisfactory answer to. I love coming up with stupid answers for it, <laughs> but I still don't think I've ever watched one where I really felt satisfied by the actual answer uh, that the film presents. So, I mean, in many ways, there there can't be a good answer without a very obvious framing device. It's just, it's, it's just, it's not going to work. That's sure. it's. I think it's it's one of those like unbridgeable gaps. Well, um, I think I think maybe someone someone maybe at some point will just hit the right note. You know, someone. No, will, I someone am saying right now it is completely impossible. <laughs> All right, you hear that? Five dollars. <laughs> On the you hear line. that filmmakers, you can never do this, so don't try. 30, Wink. Thirty years, thirty years from now, we'll review uh, the subsequent found footage genre, and uh, whoever is right gets five dollars from the other. Which oh, at that, that time will be worth space credits. Starting yes, five space credits during our psych po- psych cast directly into the brains of our listeners. See, I was thinking it'd be like a five dollar bill that would only be worth the uh, flame you could get off. It, uh, as we said, in a post-apocalyptic landscape. Or it'd be an antique. Oh, mm-hmm. maybe. Mm-hmm. After the government takes away everybody's money and destroys it and replaces <laughs> it with 
credits or corn or something. Right, right. Depending on which way the economy goes, I guess. <laughs> it's either space credits or, or, or corn as currency. Um, Check it out my notes for the movie. Yeah, I feel like uh, at some point if you actually look at my notes, I've just been like running. Yeah, so you, you know, this is the first time that I've actually I have gone without the notes for the entire podcast so far. <laughs> um, oh, do you know what Uts is? Do you have Uts on I, your coast? I, I have heard of Uts. I think it's just literally you know a snack food brand. Uh, yeah, no, that's that's exactly what it is. Um, and there used to be a crazy person that lived in my neighborhood that used to put up these crazy, you know, like missive things. Um, uh, it was just, you know, like crazy person writing, and he would always photocopy it and post it to the same thing that was on my way home from work. So I'd always take it down, I'd put it in a folder, and then I lost the folder. Um, but one of his things was that, like, he put up a picture of, like, the Utz girl and wrote, like, the Whore of Babylon under it or something. <laughs> But, um, yeah, Utz is a snack food brand, and they make very tasty chips. Oh, they're from Pennsylvania, so ah. that makes sense. Yeah, I, I don't think we really have them over here. Like, like not in Portland that I can recall seeing them around. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're, I, I don't – I mean, yeah, I, I think they're one of those uh, local um, things. And they're, Regional distribution. Yeah, that's it. Like, uh, you, you don't have Drake's Cakes either, I assume, right? No, but I've heard of them as well. Yeah, Hostess bought Drake's Cakes. You have Hostess. Yeah. Okay. Everybody has hostess. Yeah, just just checking. Um, oh, so the uh, the the Scooby Doo guys, um, the the the, the fishermen that they, that they interview. Oh yeah. Uh, one of whom like literally says something about meddling kids. I think. <laughs> um, the damn other guy, the guy kids, in I like mean, the damn yeah, damn kids. The, the the guy in the tight jeans and like the the aviator non sunglasses, the aviator prescription glasses. Yeah. I have no idea how old that guy is. He could be 22. He could be 45. Not a clue. <laughs> it's that clean woods living man. Yeah. And the, the, I, I would watch an entire movie of just dialogue between the two of them. <laughs> they were, you know, and I, I, the film got a lot done in that early stuff. And it's interesting because it's really all of that stuff is front loaded, uh, sort of necessarily. Um, but it, it really is, that's the big split in the movie for me, is all that early sort of like person on the street stuff versus everything that you know, happens in the wood with the tension and the horrific and blah, 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 blah later. And yeah, I really liked some of that early stuff. And it would have been interesting to see a film that really took that the whole way and really just made a film about interviewing people and really did the the faux documentary thing without the wandering off in the woods and getting killed thing so much as maybe leaving wandering off and getting killed as what is known to have happened. But let's just look at all this footage they gathered in town. Um, and that there's, there's a couple of things. So, so first that I, they really should have not left in the footage with the waitress because she was bad at acting like she's not acting. <laughs> <laughs> that first one with the, have you ever yeah, heard of the Blue Witch? Yeah, and it wasn't even like in in the good way where it's you know it's she's like self conscious on camera. It's like a couple of levels above that where it's clearly that she's trying to act in a movie where she's not supposed to look like she's acting, but also still being a person. It was just there's too many levels of like you're not doing anything you're supposed to be doing well enough right yeah. now. And I mean it's like it was like you know 45 seconds of footage, but it kind of bugged me. Yeah, no, it um, was it was. You could sort of see her thinking, okay, now look like you're stopping to think casually. Uh, I, I, it did read a little bit weird. I, th- I mean, I, 
structurally, I thought it was fine because they did that to sort of introduce the person on the street thing and then have some more uh, like friendly shopping montage stuff and other stuff building up the camaraderie. But uh, uh, but yeah, I kind of agree. It did feel a little bit a yeah. little bit stiff. It was not the best possible way to open up the whole idea of a fake documentary. Right. And um, there was another thing when um, Heather was describing like what was found at Coffin Rock. I'm, I'm glad we didn't have the, this cultural touchstone back then, but she's basically describing like a scene out of an episode of Hannibal that has not been made yet. <laughs> yeah, I thought of that as well. And yeah, like I really want to see that episode now because it sounds real gruesome. And now we actually have like both the ability and a place to do that, like a perfect place to do that where it's not even like seven where it's like, well, it's not one of the sins. So it couldn't be in the sequel or something, but it's like, come on, make that, make that shot. Um, yeah. Uh, there's this, there's this moment where they're pulling out the slate and writing up the first scene and they've got this little bit of dialogue. There's a few moments in the film that are like this that feel like, I don't know if they were intentional or happy accidents or a little bit of both, but, you know, Heather says something like, should we put a little bit of, you know, should we seal it with some blood? Should we have a little bloodletting on the slate? And then someone's like, no, 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 we'll save that for later, which is like, ah, but it was also really, really casually delivered, you know, so it's just a weird little bit of bit of dialogue moment of kind of like the eye roll. Oh, we're making a horror movie. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think all the way in the beginning there, they, they, she, she just makes some sort of joke about, it's like, well, you know, we'll have something to celebrate if we get back. And then, yeah, (laughs) no, it, it, it doesn't work if we know you're all going to die. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, there's that little girl Ingrid with one of the camcorder people on the street thing, yeah. and and the little girl starts saying no, 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 and <laughs> pushing. And that was either a really tight stroke of like little direction or just a wonderful <laughs> accident because it's such yeah. a great sort of like kid freaking out about story yeah. about kids being murdered in the woods <laughs> in a way that the mom just sort of laughs off, and we're sitting there saying. Ah. Yeah, uh, I I think she also ad libbed that whole story. I'm yeah. not 100% sure if that's the person that they were mentioned ad-libbing like the whole thing, but I think I think she she pulled all that out of her, you know, head or butt or I, whatever I, it is people pull out of. I did like the wild inconsistency uh in people's stories about yeah. it too. I mean, I thought that really worked well for the idea because that's exactly like, how an urban legend works. Yeah, and it's and, a, and it's so much easier to be dismissive of it if everybody has mm-hmm. a different story and whatnot yeah. uh and you know, and you don't know which one it's going to be until like the very, very last shot. Yeah. Uh, um, there, someone had a line about you know he could you know he made the kids you know face the corner because he could feel the eyes watching him. You know that's why he put him in the corner and yeah. and, and hey cameras are kind of eyes. So I yeah. thought that was sort of an interesting. Yeah. There wasn't much yeah. to do with that, but still. Yeah. Um, Although there was um there was seven uh what are they called cairns? I don't know how to pronounce that word. C a i r n s. I'm not sure either, but I think cairn too. Yeah, but there were seven of them because they mentioned that he had killed seven kids, right? Yeah. And then they, they wake up with the three of them. And, and yeah, that, that was actually, you know, like one of the few things that happens is, is, is that they wake up with these three uh, three rock formations around them. And it was like, okay, like there is no way we had accidentally put our tent in directly <laughs> into the center of three rock formations. And yeah. It's like, oh, that's good point. Good point. Um. Yeah, I like that. Like, just the, uh, oh, and then, you know, I, I actually didn't bother looking this up, because and then they, they didn't put the footage in the movie where um, Heather was just, like, when they find, like, that very first rock formation in the tree, like, little basket thing, and she's like, you know, Mary mentioned something about that, and I didn't listen to it because I thought she was crazy. I'm like, you're making a documentary! Come on! 
<laughs> Come on. Well, and okay, so that's an interesting thing. Uh, one of the things that uh, I could see doing with this movie, and other people have done with this movie that I haven't bothered to because it'd be a bunch of work and mm-hmm. you know I have other things going on, is really trying to dig into the uh, whatever clues could be taken from the movie for the the actual nature of the story. But the thing she mentions is she talks about yeah Mary saying something about Esau and a, a pile of rocks. Um, and, and yeah, it's not in the film and presumably it was somewhere in the footage that they didn't use to make the final cut, but, uh, pile of rocks. So Esau and Jacob from, uh, uh, ye old Testament, um, Esau and Jacob were brothers and Jacob, uh, basically stole Esau's birthright, even though Esau was the older brother, um, first he, he sort of traded for it for a bowl of stew, essentially when Esau was coming back in from doing some work, he's like, Hey, I'll give you some stew for your birthright. And Esau says, yes, because Esau's kind of an idiot, I guess. But, uh, even Jacob sort of knows this is bullshit. And so does Jacob's mom. And so to seal the deal, when he goes to get his birthright, instead of saying, Hey dad, I traded, uh, I traded Esau a bowl of stew, stew is for his birthright. So now I'm your oldest son. Um, he puts on like a fake beard or, or I don't remember exactly what it is, but he puts on fake body hair and his, his dad, Isaac is, is old and blind. And so he's like, Esau, my son, let me give you my blessing. And he's like, okay. It's like, here, let me, is that you Esau? And he touches him and he feels the hair. He's like, oh, it's, it, it, it is Esau. Uh, and gives him his blessing. And so then Jacob steals Esau's birthright that way. And, uh, and it creates a rift between their nations and whatnot. And and Jacob is kind of like, if if I remember right, he's sort of like in the chosen uh, people here. And this is one of the, in a sense, one of the historical heroes of you know uh, God's chosen Jewish people is this guy who put on a fake beard and stole his brother's birthday. The Bible's weird. Is the short version of that uh, sidetrack. But anyway, the deal is. Later on, uh, Jacob and someone named Laban for who he had been working, uh, I guess Jacob works for Laban for a bunch of years as like a shepherd and uh, Laban gets tired of Jacob. It's, it's biblical. So his, he, he had become less kind or less familiar or something. And so Jacob decides to get the hell out and he takes uh, Laban's daughters and he takes basically all of Laban's sheep because God hacked the whole sheep context so that Laban was like, I'll tell you what, Jacob, you can have any of the ones that are spotted. And then they were all born spotted. You can have any of the ones that are speckled. And then they were all born speckled because, because fuck you, Laban says God or, or whatever. Uh, so basically Laban tracks down Jacob is like, Hey, you stole my daughter. You stole my sheep. I can't even do anything about this because you know, whatever this bullshit technical stuff, but you really, you, you really fucked me over. Seems to be the vibe here, but you know what, what we're going to do is we're going to make a pile of rocks. We're going to make a pile of rocks and we're going to name it this. And uh, Laban had one word for it and Jacob called it Galid was his word for it. And the the pile of rocks was basically a reminder that they should henceforth sort of keep the peace and stay out of each other's hair and basically stay on their, their own sides of uh, this pile of rock. Uh and so, so, so this is this is, I guess, probably what they were referring to in the film. Very, very offhand. And this, so this, you know, you, you can see why I'm saying this feels like something that an obsessive fan could really develop a good, you know, conspiracy theory about. And I bet people have. I just haven't looked into it yet. Uh, but the two things that struck me about it were like, okay, we've got this sort of biblical reference of the stay on that side of the rocks thing, and what are they doing there? 
you know, totally wandering through the woods and I guess crossing the rocks, but it also suggests the idea that, you know, there could be this sense of a people apart from the rest of whatever Burkittsville society and the outer world that are on the other side of the rocks. And, and so all the different stories about the Blair Witch that people pass on could all be different because there's a collection of, of people, a collection of, uh, population here that's going on there and also hairiness esau was hairy jacob dressed up as oh. esau and mary brown was talking about seeing the blair witch and she was all covered in hair so maybe <laughs> maybe that's some sort of esau reference there anyway that's that that's the from the brief poking around that's all the stuff that came but that's a scene that they never come back to in the film they just it really is that throwaway what was that thing the crazy lady was saying i thought she was just being crazy. Yeah, yeah, and, and I mean, you'd think they would, uh, so you'd, you'd think the mysterious editor of this movie would leave in the thing that he leaves in a callback to, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Good job, guys. But whatever. It kind of it kind of works with the idea of amateur filmmaking and whatnot, yeah. though, that they would have this lack of uh, tight uh, narrative consistency in the way they present that stuff. So, yeah. okay, run with it. Anyway, I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah. Also, I like um, the whole thing about, no, he's he's not the captain, he's the skipper. Yeah, I was just about to say, apparently one of the most difficult things about getting this movie made was clearing the rights to that. Really? To, to, for, to, for, not to talk about Gilligan's Island, but for them to actually sing the theme verbatim for a couple of bars. Well, they yeah. had to clear the rights to it. And it's, it's one of those things, it's like so quiet, you have to turn it up and lean in yeah. even to hear them doing it. That's That's sort of hilarious and dumb. So, and also I'm wondering, so this movie was made, you know, 20 years ago, uh, or 15 years ago, take place 20 years ago. So when I was a kid, um, Gilligan's Island was still on TV, like, because daytime TV when I was growing up was they had a couple of talk shows, but then there was a lot of reruns. Yeah, a whole ton of like, it was a lot of kids cartoons and a lot of like reruns of like, I remember watching Bewitched and all that stuff. And not even like on Nick at Night or something. It was just on network television. Like they showed Gilligan's Island on network television in, you know, 1992. They don't do that anymore. Is, is that going to be like a lost touchstone? You think like Gilligan's Island, like, you know, kids are going to be watching this movie as like a classic horror movie now. Like if, you know, somebody's 14 now, like I was when I first saw it and pulls it up and be like, what, what are they singing? What skipper? What? Huh? Yeah. I really like, have no idea it, about it. Yeah. We should we should really we we need to find like an enthusiastic seventeen year old to 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 be like our our control subject for some of these older films and like make them watch it too and then try and discuss these things and see what the hell they think of it because we're we're just far enough out now that it's like oh kids these days yeah I, I yeah pop culture is slowly starting to become a mystery to me which makes me sad or or at least pop. Uh, pop culture not oriented toward me because at the very least we're now growing up at a time when or at least we're now living in a time when certain genres are now no longer like marketed specifically towards adults and certain ones specifically toward towards you know kids so it's just like all right there's they're making something for everybody like Hannibal is you know clearly like very very straight up horror entertainment not at all meant for you know even like mature children even though i'm sure they're watching and i'm sure they're enjoying the hell out of it <laughs> like it's not it's not meant for them it's not like you know like the like there's horror now that's where like the upper actual like the 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 upper thing that they're aiming for is really smart kids they're actually aiming it towards adults now which is you know, um, how the hell did I get on this? I don't remember. Oh, um, so they made a couple of video games out of the Blair Witch Project. Oh yeah, and um, yeah, and, like and, and you know, they, terrible they take- shitty mist clones or. 
they're they they're using the engine for something called Nocturne, so it kind of looks like one of the uh, the Alone in the Dark games. And I mean, these are like you know late '90s games, so they look like late '90s games. I've I've lost the ability to judge graphics from that era uh, in in the context in which they were released. Completely lost the ability to do that. Um, like, you know, I compare everything against Goldeneye, and I'm like, was Goldeneye good? No, I don't remember if Goldeneye had good graphics or not. I'm like, everybody loved Goldeneye, but Goldeneye I don't know was if that was because of the graphics. Looking. It was, it was, oh, it was, it was really bad looking. It looked marginally better than Goldeneye. But the, the funny thing is that, like, the one screen, and, like, most of the screenshots just, like, people talking to each other, but the one that I saw is wonderful, because it's, like, an old-timey policeman, like, gun-drawn, shooting at what looks like one of those um, stick effigy things, except it's huge, and it's got, like, a sword or something, and a big meaty thing in the middle, and it's animated. And I, I think it's just, like, if you're going to make a, you know, that, that just reminds me of, like, that, that's, you know, that they did that for, like, Nintendo games, where it's just like, alright, now you're playing the Friday the 13th game, so dodge these flying hockey masks or something. Yeah. Um, so it just really reminded me of that. It's like, alright, what's recognizable from this movie? Those stick things. Alright, make a monster out of them. And then shoot at it till it dies. <laughs> well, the um, thing is, like, a humanoid figure isn't going to look a whole yeah. lot better than a stick figure at that point, because yeah. the polygon count was so low. Yeah. That's the one thing, uh, the original Silent Hill uh, for the PlayStation... Uh, I, I played it after I played Silent Hill 2 for the PlayStation 2, and uh, and oh man, it's it's kind of rough. It, it, it's a better than average game to have not look very good because so much of the game is fog and not being able to see things. But still, it's it is despite my affection for older video games, some of those early PlayStation and Nintendo 64 games with the really low poly count that were trying to do you know realistic looking uh models and art really really do suffer in a super distracting way like more so than early film stuff which is an interesting thing about the difference in the in the mediums uh the media if you will i guess uh you know early film we pretty much got the get a picture onto the celluloid thing down pretty early on you know like even very old films where you can tell it's a very old film with a very old piece of film and camera technology they still, you know, it's still 90% there picture-wise. You know, the biggest problem yeah. is that they didn't have uh, – is that the film has decayed since then or the lenses weren't great for the cameras or they didn't really have the lighting to do it. You know, a lot of little technical details. But you could put a picture on camera and it still looks pretty good 120 years later at this point, you know. Yeah. Uh, whereas video games, it's been such a weird process and such a – such a young, volatile process of figuring out how to even put images on screen, that there really are some really ugly, graphically speaking, periods where you just did not have the computing power to make something not look like shit. You know, it was only the fact that it looked interesting and new in its shittiness that made it so forgivable and sort of in- absorbing in 1995 or whatever. Uh, but looking back, like Final Fantasy VII, such a classic and just so terrible graphically. Like yeah. the CGI, the pre-rendered, super expensive, super impressive CGI sequences uh, that aren't in engine look terrible. You know, yeah. they look terrible and ridiculous and cartoony, and the giant fucking balloon breasts on Tifa bouncing around, and the whole thing. You know, it's like it's amazing how badly it's aged in that respect. In a way that like Super Mario Brothers has not aged that badly. Yeah. You look at the original Super Mario Brothers. Of course, yeah. the graphics are terrible, but they're a real sort of static, yeah. you know, stylistically consistent, understandable, not trying to do more than they're doing sort of uh, old and, and simple. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm actually wondering if, like, the early low-poly 3D stuff is ever really going to hit its stride as its own aesthetic, the way that, um, you know, like, pixel art, or, you know, just, like, you know, high, low-pixel count, yeah. just, like, 8-slash-16-bit aesthetic has, you know, absolutely, you know, without a doubt, become its own aesthetic with, you know victories and then failures in it but like the old low poly like battle arena toshinden sort of stuff it's like that hasn't achieved that point yet so i have you know i i have no baseline for it whatsoever so just everything just looks like it does basically yeah it's, a, it's an interesting question like yeah will people successfully yeah. turn that into a retro aesthetic because yeah. uh, you know i've seen people doing i, I feel like minecraft's maybe the strongest argument towards something in the way of success there and not just minecraft itself but a lot of there's been a lot of yes. blocky, intentionally low poly count, low uh, resolution texture stuff in the last few years yeah. as people play around with this in the indie mm-hmm. scene that has been kind of effective, but it doesn't really it doesn't capture the same sense of that old stuff. Like it, it feels like someone's making the decision to use blocky figures and low resolution textures, not like someone's really trying to capture the aesthetics of 1995. No, like a lot of that is just a programming decision because, yeah. you know, if you're going to be dealing with like people making stuff, it's just like, I would do it. All right. Blocks. Yeah. Just make it fucking blocks. And, and um, to some extent an aesthetic decision, but it's not an aesthetic decision to try and recreate the sense of 1995 PlayStation so much as say, right. Hey, let's try and work with the aesthetics of low polygon counts, you know? Right. And so it's a really interesting question uh, that you ask, and I had not really thought about that before, but that is I, – I really wonder uh, exactly that. I do wonder if there's ever going to be a really strong sense of a retro aesthetic tied to that specific period or if it's going to be more of a sideways thing compared to the very, very mm-hmm. doting, loving – uh, pixel art style of a lot of retro 8-bit, 16-bit uh, stuff. I think this is, again, why we need that 17-year-old for to go, like, Battle Arena what? <laughs> Toshinden? It's like, yes, it was, like, the hottest shit for two years. Come on. The original Super Mario Brothers? Oh, you mean, you mean Sunshine? Yeah. Um, you know what I was... It was I, uh, my wife and I were watching uh, The Matrix the other day, and all I could think was, like, you know, The Matrix was made, again, about 15 years ago now, uh, came out roughly, yeah, same time as this movie, 1999. Um, and then, you know, like 15 years before The Matrix, 1984, 19, you know, like the big special effects thing was, you know, like The Thing or, um, what do you call it, uh, Big Trouble in Little China or whatever, you know, like, <laughs> for some reason I can only name John Carpenter movies right now. But like, you know, there was a very, total recall, like, you know, there, there was, you know, very, very little, if any, CGI and a lot of like really amazing practical effects work. And you see the Matrix, which, you know, like it, 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 it's aged not, it hasn't aged terribly, but it's visibly aged. But in those 15 years, the only thing we've managed to do is make movies exactly like that look better. Like yeah. it just looks more real, and yet the exact same thing is happening on screen. Like yeah. just CGI stuff. Like we haven't, we haven't yet had another leap the way that we did from practical to CGI. Which and I'm wondering if if we're even going to. Well, yeah, I'm not sure where there is to go, which is maybe just a really boring, non-imaginative way to approach the the question. But but I, I don't know that there's a real obvious move to make to jump from really nice CGI to what's question. next because I don't know what's next. Yeah, I mean the CGI thing. The the thing about it is if you were willing to you know be patient and be optimistic about the future, you could in 1980 basically 
expect the Matrix to get made, you know, right. and and to look uh, as good as it did at the time, and and you could from there expect you know things to be where they are now. You know, there, there, there's nothing yeah. impossible about the idea of CGI getting better and better and better from you know the days mm-hmm. of Tron and you know gooey displays on on the ships in, in yeah. on like the the ship in Alien with like raster or not raster but uh, sort of vector graphics yeah. stuff looking like an arcade game. And I mean um, CGI will just top off at whatever you whatever you can conceive of. It will look exactly the way you want it on screen and exactly as realistic or non-realistic as you want. Like the 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 upper limit to it is just literally the imagination. Yeah, and I it's feel like, like I where feel do you like go from practically there? speaking, we're already there if you have the budget at this point. If you can conceive it, uh, and there is any way to model it, you know, then you can put it on camera. You know, well, you know, you can put it on on the print uh, if you have the money to pay someone to do the work. At this point, like, I, like I'm sure techniques will continue to improve, processing power will mm-hmm. continue to improve, prices will come down, uh, the specific details of how people come up with more elaborate visuals will continue to improve. But it feels like a very, very, it feels like we're already to the point where we're just iterating. Uh, and putting shine on it at this point versus coming up with revolutionary new stuff. Like, yeah, and I mean, like, that's so good now. Yeah. And I mean, like, you know, that's what happened with painting. You know, there was, there was a point where it was just like, all right, we can do photorealistic painting. And now we have cameras which can do the same thing. What the hell are we going to do with painting now? And it, it kind of feels like we're at that moment, but I don't see where the hell we're going to go in movies outside of like, what are we? Uh, we've, we've already made abstract film. It, it's a thing that exists. Nobody watches it as an entertainment, um, really. So, yeah, I just, I just wonder what, what's, what's coming up. Yeah. And that's the Blair Witch Project. <laughs> Uh, it's, uh, not, I mean, not, it's not bad that we got off on it. I, I enjoyed that whole tangent. But uh, Oh, this I, podcast I, getting off on a tangent? I know, I, right? Uh, it occurs to me I may have a couple more notes at the movie. I should, I should look. You know, another, another cute line. Another cute line. Uh, at one point, mm-hmm. uh, Heather is saying, if I never cross another stream in my life, I'll die a happy girl. Yeah, that was... Uh, I, think, that was I think later in- she had to cross another stream, so... No, no. I, I, oh, yeah. No, no. The 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 one after that is when they're just like, shit. We already crossed the stream before, and that's when she like really flips out. Yeah. I so. I, I almost wish that line had been later, so that she would in <laughs> fact never cross another stream in her life, just to prove she was a liar. Uh, <laughs> I also there. Uh, what? Uh, oh, there was um there was a line where they were just like um. I think when they stumble, is when they stumble on the yeah when they stumble on the effigies in the trees, and somebody was just like, it's like no redneck could have made this, and all I could think of was it's like, um, oh god, what is the fucking line from Star Wars? Uh, uh, when they come up on uh, Uncle Lars's and uh, and what's her name's like blown up uh, shack. Uh, what is the line? Uncle Owen. Uncle, wait, is it Aunt Lars? <laughs> It's uh. His name's Lars. It's Owen and uh, shit. What's her name? Owen and Beru. I don't know who the fuck Lars is. Who's Lars? Who's <laughs> no. Lars? Oh, Owen Lars. Oh, apparently La- Owen's last name is Lars. How oh. the fuck do you know his last name? <laughs> Have you been reading Wikipedia? I when I was. Uh, for right around the time I saw the Blair Witch Project when I was fourteen or fifteen, I got super into Star Wars, and I literally memorized a copy of the Star Wars Encyclopedia. 
I have more Star Wars trivia in my brain than I am even aware of. <laughs> Apparently, wow. Um, yeah, there was a point. I mean, I'm st- I still fucking love Star Wars. One of my favorite film franchises ever. I've, I've seen all the prequels in the theaters. I don't like them, <laughs> but I like the universe a lot. Um, and and yeah, so that I guess that's why. But uh, what is the line? Um, it's about uh, the, the the sand. Uh, <sighs> the fact that they 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 walk in single file. No, no, no. It's like numbers, the, the, they or? couldn't have done it. Um, oh, oh, uh, the massacring of. Yeah, yeah. It, it's like it was too. Pre- it was uh, too too precise. Only imperial. Storm troopers. Only Imperial storm troopers is precise. Yeah, which is a, a total <laughs> lie. <laughs> um, and B, yeah, that's that's what I thought when I heard the. It's like no redneck could have made this. <laughs> uh, there's a scene uh, in the film at one point where uh, uh, we see a picture of Heather's butt as she's climbing up a hill, and, and mm. hear Mikey say, "I see a dirty behind," and. I, I, it made me realize that that's like the closest and it's not even close. I'm just using it as because there's a butt involved. It's technically yeah. close. It's the closest film gets to even hinting at uh, the sexualized POV exploitation thing that seems so fucking inescapable in almost like every other yeah. found footage thing we've seen. Like it's such a refreshing absence in retrospect that mm-hmm. they didn't come up with some stupid way to make some uncomfortable sexual advance yeah. on camera in this film ever. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like the, the like the there was no subtext. It was just like, ha, your butt's dirty. Which exactly. Was, yeah. And then, then also when they uh, when they film her peeing, it's like, it's like the same thing. There's no. It's just like <laughs> it, it was. Uh, you know, it was. It was like it was. It was in the nature of like horseplay and not like remotely sexualized, which was yeah, yeah. pretty nice yeah. Uh, to see in a movie for once. Take note, um, everybody who's otherwise taken inspiration from this film, you can yeah. also not be a fucking creep yeah. about your movie. Uh, Do you know that there's a uh, there, there's a uh, not, I don't want to say pornographic but like a cheesecake parody of this movie oh, called uh, the Bear Wench like this movie oh, God, had remember, a lot of parodies I remember hearing the title of that yeah yeah the Bear Wench project and then there was also the um, uh, there was a, there was a, like the the most hype not not counting like its parody and scary movie or whatever iteration of scary movie was out at the time. Um, the Blair, it was called the Blair Spoof Project. That can't possibly be right. Um, but it starred Pauly Shore. Oh, Jesus. Uh, there was a parody with this featuring <laughs> Pauly Shore, and I read one review. I read a blurb of a review, which was, and all it said was, I don't understand how Pauly Shore got worse. <laughs> yeah. um, oh, uh, the thing where they, when they go around and everybody's just like, hey, do we have any more smokes? Like, there's no more smokes. And, I, I think this is something that like every person who has had a smoking habit has encountered in their life where they go somewhere where it's not easy to get cigarettes. And no matter how many cigarettes you bring, you will never have brought enough. It is impossible. You could bring three cartons for just you, you'll go through them. Guaranteed. Um, which was... And yeah, this is a movie where there's casual smoking that it's not is not like at all pointed out, which is totally gone from movies now, first. Like, if somebody's smoking, the 95% chance they're either a villain or, like, used as a sign of, I don't care what happens to me. It's like, I'm going to smoke because I'm, you know, rebellious in a particularly stupid way. See, it's Um, funny because it it strikes me that uh, Camping in the Woods is one of the 
milieus, you could actually mm-hmm. sort of get away with it without it having to be a thing of note at this point. You could, like, you could still have people go camping right now and have someone sitting and smoking and have it not be something noteworthy because you don't have to think about, oh, can you smoke here? You know, you're out in the fucking woods as long as you don't start a goddamn forest fire. You know what? I was actually, I was actually thinking about that. It's like, you know, they're, they're lost, but it's also, uh, it, it, it's fall and just start a giant ass forest fire. They'll find it. They'll find you. They'll find you next to the fucking fire. <laughs> well, they'll, they'll, they'll find you charred by the, the forest fires actually move kind of fast. It turns out when they're, when they're getting going, they, uh, they uh, leap from you get up a good uh, good good head of uh, not steam exactly a good head of fire I guess that's an idiom now and uh, yeah it's sort of like it's a moving uh, wall of flames kind of so more reasons for me to stay the hell out of the woods because my best plan to get rescued is set up this fire <laughs> you know and we just watched uh, we just watched the second Hunger Games movie last night on a whim on uh, on Netflix. Or not oh, it's the second one on Netflix. No, it's not actually. I think we watched it on something else, and uh, and yeah, it was also sort of like a lost in the woods sort of situation a little bit. Well, not lost exactly, but uh, yes, I, I I don't even have anything interesting to say. Apparently, I'm just going to tell you that I watched uh, Catching Fire last night, and they were in the woods for part of it. So there you go. Uh, oh, here's the thing. Yeah, he when he was like when Josh was bugging the shit out of Heather. Um, the, the line he kept repeating is, uh, what's your motivation or that's your motivation, I think, which felt really like filmy to yeah. me. It was a bit, that was a bit, I think that, that scene was a bit much, but well, it, it seems a little bit actory too. It's like, it's not even a good documentary documentary. Yeah. Like he should have been like going after with like documentary bullshit. Yeah. Not, and he's not an, he's, he's not an actor. He's, yeah. he's, was he, uh, he was a cameraman, right? Cause Mikey was a sound guy. Yeah. And then Heather was the director and um, really terrible interviewer. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that, that would have... Yeah, I mean, had they been successful, what is the footage that they would have gotten in the woods to complete a full-length documentary? Or even a short they, documentary? They, they, they could have done a 30-minute documentary with uh, gathering legends and then some footage of some creepy stuff. Yeah, I think it could have worked. I don't think it would have been good. I, 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 I stand firmly by the idea that if they had lived and not, you know, had all the terrible experiences, they would have produced a very, very dull, very stiff documentary that people would be like, yep, oh, yep, you pass your film class, and that's, <laughs> that would have been the end of it. But uh, okay, I want to, I, I want to advance a crazy theory because, uh, because that's what I do once we get towards the end of podcasts, I guess, but I'm looking at my notes and there's a brief conversation. Uh, another thing that we didn't talk about really, but comes up, I feel like in every found footage thing is, uh, why are you still filming? And, and it seems like mm-hmm. mostly they always try and answer it at least a little bit. And, uh, the general answer here mostly seems to be because what else do you do? And, you know, you can just sort of shrug and run with it if you're willing to be generous. But there's this conversation at one point where, uh, she's filming Mike after things have gotten sort of weird and shitty and tense. And uh, he's like, I don't know why we have to have every conversation on camera because uh, he doesn't want to answer a question. And she says, because we're making a documentary. He says, not about us getting lost. We're making a documentary about a witch. And Heather's response is, I have a camera. And, you know, it doesn't hurt. And, you know, there's no better answer. But what if, here's the theory, what if this whole film project that we're seeing is Heather's actual film project. We don't see Heather die. We just see the camera drop when, and she yells at the end. Right. Uh, we have no idea that she isn't 
orchestrating this whole thing. She could have, you know, ripped out Josh's molars if that's, you know, what actually happened there. Uh, she could have tied him up off in the woods or something. She could have, you know, hired someone to hold a boombox of someone <laughs> yelling. You know, the whole thing, she could actually be the crazy Blair Witch, uh, you know, avatar at this point. Uh, she could have been responsible for the whole thing. And that's why she kept filming. It's not because she didn't know what else to do. It's because that's what she was doing. Her crappy performance of the bits of the documentary they were making that we saw uh, were artifice on her part to help convince them uh, that she doesn't know what she's doing. Her insistence that they weren't lost and getting them into the woods. It's not because of, you know, a prideful inability to admit that she wasn't sure where they were. It's because she wanted to lead them into the woods to kill them. The whole thing. She, she is maybe Katie's demon cousin, Katie from paranormal activity. They're there. They, she lived down the block and she was also possessed. And, and the same, the same dogma 95 demon filmmaker crew that got Katie also got her. And that's, she's, she's who edited it. She found all the footage, edited it together and, uh, deposited it somewhere, uh, for someone to find. And so that's, that's what, that's what happened in the movie. That's what's going on. She is, the Blair Witch. Her original name is Blair. She changed it legally, but she's <laughs> yes. Now I'm just wondering, uh, what was it? Uh, Monday the 15th segment of um, Oh yeah, VHS. Of uh, VHS, yeah. Same, uh, same thing. Same sort of concept to it. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So there you go. Yep. Alright, well... Uh, any other, uh, any other details? I'm out of notes. No, yeah, that's 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 the Blair Witch Project. I guess following on my theory, there's even a, a scene late in the film where uh, Heather goes down and sits next to Mike uh, and sort of puts an arm around him, and they sit there and just sort of feel scared. Yeah, that's together. and it's yeah, like this that. Dutch angle shot from the camcorder that that Heather must have sat down specifically to get that shot. So even at that late date, there's this sort of weird artifice of filmmaking that really plays into the idea that she knew that she would get something out of this at the end. Uh, and it's because she was just gathering uh, additional footage for her uh, allegedly posthumous uh, <laughs> filmmaking project. Uh, let's see. Did I have anything else? Do, 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 do. Not really. I did like, I did like the quick little shot of the dead rat and the, the sarcastic voice or what killed this dead mouse? Witchcraft. I just thought that was it. What, what, what was the other thing? Oh, yeah, it was God. Yeah, was, yeah. Like, then Josh <laughs> said, I, what, maybe it was God. Yeah, but uh, anyway, I thought that was good. Blair Witch Project. That's Blair Witch Project. I, uh, yeah, I'm, 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 I, I, was, I was very, I was pleased and relieved to find that I really felt like it held up. You know, I was yeah. worried that I was going to go back and like some other things I've gone back to, I was going to sit and wait. Like, really? This was, I thought this was awesome. Really? But uh, it, was, it, was a, it was a solid little film. Yeah, I'm, I'm really glad with that, you know, uh, I enjoyed it again. And I'm doubly glad that it scared the crap out of me because I was not expecting it to do that. Yeah. I, uh, um, yeah. I, uh, oh, shit, I just had a thought and it's gone. Um, yeah, well, I, I, oh, I, I guess the thought is I, I think it's a thing where, it was coming, this whole found footage genre, I think, was 
sort of inevitable and it's not something where like Blair Witch is the magical thing that caused it to happen. But it is interesting to think how maybe the the immediate territory around it would have been different and maybe some of the things we see in current stuff would have been different if this hadn't been the big influential one that really sort of got things rolling uh, right around the, the, the turn of the century. You know, what if it had been something with a somewhat different aesthetic that otherwise took the found footage thing? Would we see uh, different notes in some of the stuff that has come since then? Or was it really just that someone had to be like, oh, hey, everybody, go make your independent found footage movie. <laughs> it might win you the lottery. You know, was it the nature of the contents and specific style of this film or just the proof of concept that really kickstarted? think, save for the fact that every single uh, found footage movie has to have a shot where, you know, they turn to the camera so that we de-associate from the camera a little bit, because out of, like, you know, basically necessity. Um, I, I don't know, because I, I, I think not counting the camera, like, al- along with Paranormal Activity, this this does sort of fit the structure of a traditional horror movie a lot. It's just that there's not a lot in it, save for dialogue and yeah. shots of the woods, um, but like just it's it's a much more economical, both you know practically and you know in in in, in the sense of just plotting and stuff. It's uh, it's in a lot of ways just a straight up horror movie in the same way that like Alien was, or um, and you know they, they, the directors like actively say that they were influenced by stuff like Alien and The Omen and uh, The Shining. It, it, it fits into the structure of those kind of movies of just like very sparse, um, very sparse but very specific setting. Like, you know, it's like, you know, spaceship, hotel, uh, yeah. I forget where The Omen is set, um, or but woods. Um, and, you know, just just characters, location, and then just the thing that's scaring the crap out of everybody is out of sight either the whole time or, or some of the time, but it's a very, it's, it's a classic horror movie just done in a new way or a classic type of horror movie since the seventies, I guess it's not like a universal studios monster movie, classic horror movie, but it's, it's now a classic type of horror movie. Although back then, I guess it was only like a 20 year old genre um, maybe thirty-year-old genre, which is weird because the found footage thing is now as old as the stuff that it was taking its influence from now. <laughs> um, yeah. So that's those are that is my thought on um on that. All right, a good thought, a closing yeah, thought, even a closing thought. Yeah. Uh, uh, have we talked we about have, the next one? Nope. Well, we should talk we about that not. at some point. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't think we have it. It's not going to be Blair Witch Two. <laughs> Uh, Jesus. Yeah, I mean, I read the plot synopsis, and it sounds like it could have been a good movie, and I read the commentary on the director's commentary, and it sounds like he was trying to make a good movie, but A, I have no idea if, even without the studio, uh, even without the studio influence slash, uh, I mean, like, they just cut shit into his movie without his approval, basically, Uh, like, they shot themselves, um, so I think, I don't know, even if without the studio, like getting in the way of it would have been good, but if you, if you read the synopsis, there, there's a, there's a good scary movie in there that could be made. Um, or at least just like out of the concept of them basically like waking up and having to reconstruct what the hell happened the previous day from the footage while simultaneously having to deal with the fallout of what they've done. 
<laughs> it's, it, it could work. Like, it, there's, a, there's a good movie in there. You just have to get a good cast and director and actors, and it didn't sound like they had any of that. Yeah. Or a crew, rather. Oh, well, I don't know. I don't know anything bad about the crew, so. Yep. Yep. All right. Well, we'll come up with another movie, and maybe we'll actually watch it uh, in two weeks. Uh, yeah. I mean, hopefully. Uh, break the I summer should. streak. Yeah, I got my co-op board interview on um, Monday, no, tomorrow. Sweet. So, and then we'll know if we are accepted by the co-op board on the 24th. And then after that, we find out when they're ready to close, assuming we're, uh, what do you call it, accepted. So, yeah, I might have internet again. <laughs> All right. Okay, well, uh, good talking to you as always. And uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Follow us on Facebook iTunes. I, I can't imagine anybody who has made it this far into any episode is not already <laughs> Wait, following what? one of those things. You have something on the web? I don't understand. I was just typing in <laughs> random characters into the search function on uh, on on the i you know podcast I can have subscription. I just tune into this on my Magic Twilight Zone radio. I just, that I just hear podcast this from the future. I hear this in my teeth. I don't know what it is. Uh, yes, do those things that you've I'm already done. I'm your upstairs done. neighbor, yeah. and I can hear you every time. Tell, tell <laughs> your friends, right. yes. Uh, and yeah, <laughs> well, it's just about that. But I'm just gonna, you know, what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna, I'm gonna hit stop on this, and then we'll uh, we'll be done recording this podcast. Is it's what's gonna happen. Does that sound good? Good night, everybody. All right.